Welcome to the Cincy Postcast, episode 42. I am your host, Kevin Wallace, and boy, do we have another doozy for you. I'd call it a special holiday edition of the Postcast, but it's not particularly holiday. We do, however, have a ton of FC Cincinnati news. We've got schedules, we've got player signings, we've got player leavings, and we've got a draft to talk about in part two. Gets a little off the rails. In the 11 out of the 18, in a special edition of the film room with the movie avatar that weirdly gets heated and we wrap it all up with a soccer blog book club world cup edition throw it all together and that is your episode 42 to talk about all of that and more. I mean, we went long last week. I promise we could go long this week if we if we stuck to the little the little game script we got here. But no, we've got uh, the usual crew, Chief Grayson. Uh, Chief, I had intended to to practice my Navi to, to welcome you to the pod today. But how are you doing today? <laughs> uh, Kevin, I see you. <laughs> happy, and, uh, happy to be the- here the world cup is over the holidays are here i'm feeling festive most of my christmas shopping is done hey, let's do this look at that a lot of progress from last week <laughs> <laughs> uh and grayson how are we feeling this week holidays coming up yeah i feel pretty good we had our um we had our first so we my wife and i throw a christmas party every year and we've not been able to have one, obviously, for 2020 or 2021. And um, people kind of let their hair down. And it was, you know, did not disappoint. The only uh, <laughs> drawback was I woke up Sunday and I had what I'm assuming was COVID for about 15 hours. <laughs> ah, yes. The famous yeah. Mexican speedy COVID. <laughs> it, it comes over in the uh, the the Russian vodka, I think, is, is the bioweapon of choice there. So, yeah, got to be careful with that one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm excited because we are, I mean, we're in the final stretch of 2022. It really, for a lot of, I, I don't know, a lot of podcasts to be winding down, but as an FCC podcast like this week, feels like we're 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 ginning the machine back up. We, we've got news uh, yesterday and today. There is a lot to talk about. I, it feels weird putting FCC first in the pod, but I. I think we have to. I think this is a fun, fun week. And we've kind of talked about this first thing a number of times now. But uh, Marco Angulo, officially announced by the club, Ecuadorian midfielder, uh, joining FCC as a U22 initiative player. I believe uh, Tom Bogart of MLSsoccer.com said this is somewhere in the neighborhood of a $3 million transfer fee. So a pretty hefty fee for the... The, uh, the midfielder, uh, Grayson, what, what, what are our feelings on this signing? Well, like every every account is that he's is he's like a stud who just kind of burst on the scene this past season. Yeah. Um, he, I think, through most of the last season, had built himself into a, a regular starter with his team in Ecuador, which is, I think, Independiente del Valle, which is a big team down there. And he actually, I think I'm right about this started 
and played like 80 minutes in the Copa Sudamericana final, which his team won, yeah. which I think is pretty impressive at, at 20 years old. Um, I think they beat, I think they beat Sao Paulo in that. Or I don't know. I, I, I should Google, I should have Googled it, but they beat like a, maybe on the, maybe along the way, but they, they, they play big teams in that, you know? So it's yeah. not like, it's not that, that tournament's no joke. And, um, he was also a um, the first alternate, I think, for Ecuador's World Cup team, which is really impressive since he yep. only had one senior cap uh, before before that. Just shows you kind of how quickly he's risen and how highly regarded he is. Um, there does seem to be that there was real buzz for him going straight to Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he plays a position of need. Um, I don't know what his strengths and weaknesses are. I mean, you can read all types of reports out there. <laughs> right. You can watch the highlight reel. It looks pretty good. We'll see how he fits in the midfield, but positionally he seems like he should fit in kind of perfectly. I think this is exactly the type of signing that we in, that we would have envisioned, both like the position and the profile for one of those U22 positions. And it's the exact type of signing that we complained that weren't happening uh, enough under night camp, that we were looking too mm-hmm. much to Europe. We weren't looking to South America enough. Um, with these players, I always you have to take some of what's written about them with a grain of salt, just because the goal is to sell these people. Um, and that's kind of gross right. to say when you put it that way, but the goal is to get them shipped out. So, um, the t- the universal praise seems promising on this, but I'm going to attempt a moment of personal growth here, and I know that that's always scary when I attempt okay. to, to be a better version of myself. Hey, we're here um, for it. All right, so I'm going to get ahead of the take on this, and I think it's important to note from the outset, he's very young. He's 20, and he is making the move to the United States with a lot of fanfare, a lot of money behind him, and it reminds me very similarly to what the situation was when Brenner joined FC Cincinnati. And I think if there is one lesson to take away from Brenner's saga to FC Cincinnati is that the adjustment period for a 20-year-old moving to the United States, playing soccer in the United States, playing MLS style of soccer, which is a completely different brand of football than they play down in South America, and you add the cultural differences and everything else like that, is that just I, I'm going to be patient with this kid this time. I swear yeah. Um, yeah. that you've got to give this guy a chance to get his legs under him figure out the country, figure it, figure out, you know, living on his own as a 20 year old in the Midwest, not a huge contingent of Ecuadorians here that he can hang out with. That would make a move like this easier if he lived in New York or Los Angeles. So right. he is who he is. It, the video I saw looked really, really cool. And Bogart was really, really high on him. And a lot of reports are high on him. But I think that where I'm going to be with this signing is I am going to be okay. And I, I'm going to hold people hold me accountable on this. I'm going to be okay if it takes a while to see value out of this. And if it looks rough out of the shoot, I don't expect him to start. I don't expect him to be an immediate contributor, but this is a move that you buy, you know, on the upswing buy low. And then if this kid was rumored to be on his way to Europe, eventually, then maybe you can recoup some of the money on his journey. But He's very young. I'm willing to be patient with this, and I'm willing to trust Albright and his talent evaluation on this. Yeah. I I mean, he projects as a box-to-box midfielder. That is what Chris Albright uh, said in the uh, the couple of quotes that they got about him or from him uh, about this signing. Um, he fits in well to kind of take – 
Moreno's place in the lineup. If you imagine sort of last year's go-to starting 11, um, he could also potentially be uh, a midfielder in a diamond if that was still potentially in the plans for this team. Uh, pretty versatile. I think a lot of people see him as a primarily defensive midfielder. That's how he had been deployed uh, primarily for his team in Ecuador. But again, Albright calling him a box-to-box midfielder might be a sign that they see him moving forward uh, a little bit more. Um, yeah, I mean, incredible resume in, in chief, you, you hit the nail on the head with the Brenner comparison, one incredible season under his belt in Ecuador. He had success at the youth youth level, uh, but one incredible senior, uh, season, um, Grayson, I feel like we have to talk about this with this signing since I, he was rumored, I think months ago at this point, at least a month ago. Um, and nobody mentioned him at all in the interim. And a lot of this is unverified. A lot of this is hard to parse together because all of the sourcing and sources are either uh, sort of confusing tweets, many of them since deleted, or local newspapers in Ecuador. So it's going to be a little tricky to translate. But um, essentially, he was in the car uh, where uh, his cousin died in a drunk driving accident. Um The question was whether essentially who was driving the vehicle at the time of the accident. Um, There was some question about that. And it it remained unclear for a while until like literally last week, the is kind of came together that he was a passenger and his cousin was the driver. And it appears that once that situation had a little more clarity, I think the team was a little more comfortable announcing it now. Um, Did I miss anything with that, Grayson? Am I misrepresenting anything there? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's hard to. Well, let me let me back up. First of all, I, I think that if there was still outstanding questions about that event, the team would not have you know showcased the signing. Yeah. Um, as because it is the the story is not unknown in the fan base and then in, you know, the broader soccer community. Right. right. Um, I, I think that, so I was a little taken aback, I guess, with a lot of the reaction to some, by some of the more tuned in people to the fan base, to this whole story, because I think people were extrapolating a whole lot based on pictures that I thought were pretty inconclusive and didn't show a ton yeah uh based on what random people are saying on twitter like absolutely completely random people like are just saying on twitter in the replies then, like not even eyewitnesses yeah, yeah. And and you then, you, and then, you could it could be fans of a rival team for all any of us know in terms of right, like how right. their rea- how their connection to this whole story was right and then and then i've you know we all have the same ability to search twitter we all have the same ability to find stories that are in Spanish and translate them ourselves or hit Google translate the stories that I saw I thought were all pretty, pretty sketchy, frankly, as far as, uh, on, on details. Um, yeah. there was a lot of, a lot of, you know, speculation about who, who may or may not have been driving. And when people were sharing the pictures and saying, Oh, and declaring, this is what this picture shows. I was looking at the same pictures and I was like, 
I, I don't I don't see that. And I feel like if I put if I put the picture in front of you and I started asking you questions about it, you would also have to admit yeah. that it wasn't showing like one of the here's an example. As you said people saw him come out of the driver's side of the car. Right. The picture I saw of the car, and sorry, trigger warning here, but there's no other way to like really describe this. It was on its side with the driver's side door on the ground. Right. So anybody coming out of that car was coming out of the sunroof. Yep. Right. Regardless of what seat you're in. So I don't think you can. So it just, it just felt like another thing that like people were saying. And I think that there's a little bit of an urge to like feel like, you know, what is going on. Yeah. Or to solve, to solve the mystery, are, to yeah, solve the like, mystery. Like you have some insight or you have some special knowledge that that you're imparting to people and to to just quickly grasp on to to certainty yeah i think that with a lot of things in life you know people should be more open to uncertainty particularly early after an incident like this and you know try not to just draw conclusions based on frankly really really thin comments and like i don't have an opinion on the facts i don't feel like i'm in a position to know what happened i feel like fc is in a better position to know what happened than i am um i do know that the cousin's mom apparently has said that her son was the driver i've seen a lot of people speculate that you know well she would say that because he's this big soccer player right i'm not sure come into a lot of money no yeah. just I'm not no, sure, it's not, no it's that, it's kind of gross it's gross it like, sucks. Would you say it no these no, are it's, this it's, is another person that you're saying sucks. that about no i i i'm this is the gross side of the internet and this is the gross side of it's not just sports this is just life then 2022 where yeah. it, you have twitter sleuths who and you know what? There are some stories out there of some people doing some incredible things, just getting on the internet, searching through Twitter, cross-referencing various posts about stuff. There was a really neat story about citizen journalists putting together Russian troop movements during the yeah. early parts of the Ukraine war. And that's fascinating. <laughs> but the problem is, is that a little bit of that gets into people's heads, and all of a sudden there's always a mystery to uncover. And right. sometimes there just isn't. Sometimes things are exactly what people say they are. And it isn't some grand conspiracy. There isn't some weird thing going on that you're being kept, that's being kept from you. And the part that just it, it has bothered me about this entire story, and it's why I think we all agreed we didn't want to talk about this until A, the signing became official, and B, um, more information came out, is that if you allow yourself to believe there isn't a conspiracy or there isn't some more to this story, it's fucking horrendous that he yeah. was in a horrid car wreck where yep. his cousin died. And you have no idea what else is going on beyond what else is going on beyond that. But any normal person, when a family member dies and you're right next to him, that's probably going to fuck you up a little bit mentally for a while. And then to have to deal with people asking questions of, well, maybe you were the one that killed them. Maybe you were the one that was driving and wild idiots sleuthing online from the United States trying to come to conclusions about shit in a foreign language through Google AI translate. It's just it's gross. And. I wish more people in these circumstances would remember that there is another person 
involved in this and that's him and yeah. there is a family involved in this that lost a, a loved one and this is one of those situations where it's not about a soccer transfer right here and maybe everyone should occasionally take a step back and just let the story tell itself versus trying to uncover the story or approaching it as if there's a story to tell and trying to find it so um yeah. i'm ecstatic that the kid is okay i'm ecstatic that as best anyone can tell, and as sure the club is concerned, he's been fully cleared of any potential wrongdoing on this. And I'm excited to see him play soccer for FC Cincinnati. And I hope he's okay mentally with what happened, because that would be a horrific thing for anyone to go through at any age, much less when you're 20 years old. Yeah, I saw I saw something. Um, it was I feel a little bit better relying on it because it was really I think it was retweeted by uh, or quote t- tweeted by Tom Boger that said mm. that he that that. Angulo was in the country last week getting his medical and, and physical done. Gotcha. Um, and so I feel like, again, like this is something that people a lot closer to it have done a lot of work and investigation into. And yeah. again, like I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to remember that we're talking about, you know, like real people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And again, back to, to chief's point, like, yeah, give this time to get, uh, give this guy some time to get settled in. Like this is pretty dramatic way to, to leave the country. Um, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that maybe he was out celebrating this transfer with his cousin, and this was the end result. You know, so something to uh, something to I don't know, be be patient with. Um, but yeah, like uh, you know, like I said, like kind of a, a dark side of this story. But in the abstract, fantastic signing for FC Cincinnati, uh, kid with a bright future ahead of him. And um, I mean, you put him, Obi, and Acosta in a mid midfield trio that is a hell of a diamond with moreno and kubo coming off the bench i mean be hard pressed to find a deeper midfield in mls right now if this guy lives up to his potential um another player that uh on the way out uh of fc cincinnati calvin harris traded to colorado for uh i think all in is three hundred seventy-five thousand gam uh that's broken up over two years and i think some of that is actually insane Incentives based um, makes a lot of sense. We saw Latonga leave. Give it up for Chris Albright. Give it up for Chris Albright right here. Yeah. This is Good deal. this yeah. is this is why you pay him the big bucks, and this is why this is what again, just yep. like the last uh, signing. This is exactly what what this team was missing when they didn't have an MLS GM in here, and it was taking an asset that had no value. And I'm, I, I mean that sincerely. I'm sure Calvin is a nice person. I'm sure he's a great guy to his friends. He had no value to this club. He yeah. featured in none of the important matches this club played this year. The only match that he was memorable in, he was memorable <laughs> for giving a dirty look to the bench because he scored a goal and decided to use that to make a political point in that moment. But this is an <laughs> asset that was valueless to the club, and they extracted real money from that that can be then used to improve the club elsewhere. So to me, great job by Albright. But you know what? I'm going to give a small you know, tip of the hat to Gerard Nykamp <laughs> because he drafted him 
And this is exactly, this is a perfect use of a super draft pick. If they're not going to play for you, get some money out of them on the other side so that you can yeah. make the team better elsewhere. Uh, so just this is good business all around. I wish him the best of luck in his future endeavors, but I'm much happier with the gam than I would have been with Calvin Harris on the team this year. I, yeah, he was never terrible. Like, I think he could be good in the right system on the right team. So I wouldn't be surprised if he turns out to be a, a pretty good player in Colorado. Um, I'd also be a little surprised if he was. But um, yeah, I he just didn't fit in anymore. And not only that, too, International spot too, which always was yeah, puzzling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't really doubt that he has it in him to be at least like a decent player on an MLS team. And if we get, you know, ultimately three seventy five for trading that kind of player who didn't fit in our team, I mean, that's a great, that's a great, great deal in my opinion. Plus, you know, if he doesn't get his green card before the before the season starts. That's you can. That's another, you know, two fifty, two seventy five in value. Yeah. Getting the international, getting opening up the international roster spot because you can use it, you can sell it. Um, and I think that you know he needed. We, I mean, we said it on the podcast like months ago that yes. that he was a candidate for an off season trade. Um, that that was likely to happen, and you know, with it being his last GA year. Yeah, I think if you have one, if you have one year left on a guy's GA deal, I think the question you should ask yourself is: Is this guy going to be a big time contributor for us? And if not, where can I send him to? Yeah, right. get some value. I wonder if Adidas would honor a generation Adidas contract if he went to USL. <laughs> 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 like, does the language just say professional soccer, or does it say Major League Soccer? Because I don't know. Maybe there's some value in him playing in Tampa or Louisville or something. <laughs> I think it would technically be a loan because yeah, generation yeah. Adidas deals are signed directly with Major League Soccer. So oh, even if he's right. not with one of the teams, I mean, the league could theoretically loan him to like some usl was ben lunt a generation of this guy i don't think so no 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 it wasn't okay. it was a second round pick um <clears throat> so yeah good luck to him and again uh we we called it so i just i feel like we need to just toot that horn but i mean it was uh, it was again. it was it was painfully obvious <laughs> yeah. there was there was obviously some there was obviously no love lost between hey, Calvin man. Harris and the administration. And when uh, we're right, we're right. Okay. We're right. Yeah, we're going to take a lap on this. Yeah, no, it's yeah. I don't care how obvious it was, but speaking of obvious, apparently Kenneth Vermeer is in the Netherlands right now, seeking a uh, a new club. Um, last anybody heard, he's still under contract through this year. So um, I think FCC is fine mutually parting ways, assuming he can uh, find employment. Um, yeah. So I want to point out that I, I, I'm going to give her credit, even though she didn't technically like report this. Yeah. But Laurel put out a uh, Q and a with Paul Rogers. Mm. Uh, I think today actually. Okay. Um, and in that he said, like we're going into the season with three keepers. And he also <laughs> mentioned specifically like a couple paragraphs later, you know, I think clearly that he viewed those three keepers as Roman Celentano, Alec Can, and Evan Laura. <laughs> so not a can for beer in there. <laughs> so that feels like reporting that Vermeer is gone, but like maybe nobody can like 
expressly say it or because probably, there's no deal done yet. Or probably it's a question of if he can latch on with another team, they'll release, they'll have a free release of his contract right there. But if he can't, they'll use that one-time MLS contract cancel feature, which I don't think we've used this offseason yet. So no. he no. seems like he he seems like he would be a decent candidate for that based on who we know is under contract already. And frankly, they've gotten rid of a lot of the bad players at this point. So yeah, at this point, and again, almost a similar situation, Yuya Kubo is still under contract. He might be a candidate for that buyout, depending on how they, were, they see so wait, that. Were we, were we all just wrong about a lot of these contracts? Because I was pretty certain this past summer that the general consensus was that Vermeer was in the last year of his deal and Kubo was in the last year of his deal. When did that change? So... Again, I'm going I'm going off of what I've seen Laurel tweet, but what she has said on Twitter is that the team, people within the team confirmed to her that three guys, Baji, Kubo, and Vermeer, were all under contract only through this season. Then the team put out the release that didn't like say this. any of them had options picked up and just included them as a list of players who were under contract for 2023. And... I've seen people try to like, you know, parse the language of that. You can't. <laughs> no, it under says contract. what it says. They're yeah. under contract for 2023. Um, the so only speculation I've seen is that maybe something happened, like making the playoffs triggered an incentive in their in their in their deals. Another can, thing can I, can I offer a, a, a wider a wider speculation? What if Nightcamp was just lying to people? That like when he signed them to contracts, they were like, we don't want to sign any contracts that are longer than three years. He's like, oh, no, all the contracts will be three years. And then since he wasn't passing them off for anyone to review, he was the person that was doing all the contracts. Maybe maybe he just threw, he caved at the last minute in some of these negotiations and threw an extra year in on some of these people. And we just don't know it. We didn't know so about it until they started reading assume, through the books. You'd assume Albright would look at the physical contract but then i started thinking maybe not maybe he's going off the working spreadsheet of like these guys contracts end at this time and the only people who would know are maybe the player the player's agent and like fcc's legal representation None maybe not even are maybe not even them because the, the contracts are with the league so it's entirely possible that the physical right. contract is only known to nightcamp the player's agent um the player and the league. And if he, right. if Nightcamp told everyone in the building, hey, don't worry, we're only going to give this guy three years, this much money. And then at the very last second, Kubo's like, agent is like, my guy's not getting on the plane from Tokyo unless there's some fucking extra cash or an extra year on this deal. And they yeah. just change a three to a four and quietly fax it off to the league office. And he's like, ah, I'll tell Jeff Birding later. What's the worst that happens? <laughs> I won't be here by then. Yeah. <laughs> one, one, thing I, one thing I thought about today was because I think all three of these guys missed some time due to injury. Mm. And I wonder if, you know, let's say you had an incentive in your contract that was like, you know, X number of starts with the team. Okay. If you are on the like unavailable to play list, oh. maybe the contract counts that as an appearance or a start. So that or like players are not disadvantaged. the number of games. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, or, or it's or like a percentage or of games that you weren't they all here during? Or wasn't Kubo here during 2020? 
Kubo he was. Signed, Vermeer was not. What, Vermeer was not. But maybe with Kubo, maybe there was something about the COVID year that screwed up his, or they quietly added another year to his contract because they considered 2020 a wash. But wasn't yeah, I mean, Baji and Albright signing? Yeah. yeah, Baji was. So that's weird. So <laughs> something, I mean, something, something clearly happened with those three guys. Cause I don't, I don't know. I, yeah. I think that at one point they were all under contract set to expire in 2022 and then something happened. Yeah. And they're still I, under I, contract for 23. I really <laughs> like, I really like the Gerard Nightcamp was lying to people. That would, that to me, of all the available, like, if it's all a question of like, what do you believe of these equally likely scenarios? That one feels the most right. That just he wasn't telling anyone what was going on. And all of a sudden, yeah. Albright actually pulled the physical documents from the library and learned, oh, shit, we've been saying the mass wrong the entire time. <laughs> the uh, my favorite theory, oh, at least with Vermeer. <laughs> and with your spirit. <laughs> my, my favorite theory with Vermeer is that he accidentally hit some incentive playing for FCC two, and like the contract language was so vague <laughs> that he, he had, they accidentally tripped some <laughs> some some stipulation there. Um, uh, last thing I think. Uh, well, okay, I take that back. We got some decent FCC news. Uh, the the schedule dropped. Uh, not a whole lot to take away. Um, I already said on Twitter, I thought it was weird. Uh, we only have back-to-back home games uh, twice this season. That's kind of fun. Um, and my biggest question is, I have no idea how an MLS roster is constructed. Like, the NFL roster is, like, kind of wild in that, like, they have 32 teams, but you play, what, 18 weeks now? It's like, how do you determine that? It's like a really good formula. And at the end of every season, you know exactly who you're playing next year. Maybe not the order, maybe not the, the dates, but you know exactly who you're playing. MLS, I have no clue. We're not playing either LA team this year. It feels like well, a good play, thing, but why? You play everybody in the Eastern Conference twice. Yeah. And you play six Western Conference teams, three home, three, three away. But is it the same block of six that we're going to rotate every three years? Or is it random I, draw? So I don't know. It used to look like, I think when we entered the league, um, the teams that came here, we were also supposed to like go away to the following season. Like yeah. they maybe used to be some type of rotation, right? For was, that, but they but they're yeah. way off. They're off of whatever that would have been because oh. of because of the COVID year. And I'm, I'm, I'm just I just want to know when do we get to go to fucking Portland? I <laughs> I want to go to a Portland yes. Timbers FC Cincinnati game, and every year the fucking schedule drops, and we're not going to fucking Portland. And just that's all I want. I don't want to go to you know Charlotte. It's a dull ass city. I don't want to go to you know Foxborough. I want to go to fucking Portland, and they keep leaving them off the goddamn schedule, and I'm sick of it. Well, since we play Portland this year, I guess there's a decent chance we don't play them at all next year. And then the year after that, we might go away to Portland. But it is wild that we could potentially be in the league like seven or eight years before we ever play another team away. Um, It seems very odd. I wish there was a system. I wish like you played the Western or the opposite conference opponent that finished at the same place as you in the playoffs and then plus two and minus two teams. I don't know. I don't know. Find some, find some way to build that out. Just fix it. Um, fix it. 
Because like the, yeah. the away days in the Eastern Conference suck. Like there's no fun away <laughs> days on the Eastern Conference. Like give me, there's, give there's me Montreal. Soccer. Come on, no, it's a bunch of fucking fun. francophones. I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> just an inferior brand of bagel that they all go crazy over up there. Hey, they've got a beautiful subway system. All right, so you can go there and look yeah, at public it's the infrastructure. Only, it's the only place that's warm in the entire city. <laughs> um. In addition to the schedule, uh, it sounds like MLS is going forward with uh, this playoff revision. Uh, eight teams making the playoffs, but instead of a, uh, a eight-team knockout round tournament or eight-team yeah knockout tournament, it is two groups of four World Cup style. Play everybody in your group once. I guess the highest seed hosts each round, and I assume it'll be top two from each group advance to a. Uh, I what does that end up being? We have four team uh, quarterfinal, then semifinal, then final. How, how do we feel about this? There, I will say there is precedent for doing something like this in other leagues in Europe. But I'm curious what your thoughts are, Chief. It's Champions League light is what yeah. it is. It's that you're taking and playing a full regular season and you're putting the Champions League at the end of it. Um I like the formatting. I just, it's a great time to announce it after a very entertaining World Cup. Like, do you like yeah. the World Cup? You will get more of this style if you watch the MLS playoffs. It lends itself really easily to television. Um, it's very easy to create a lot of inventory and a lot of excitement playing a lot of games in a very short amount of time with this type of a schedule. Yep. And the bigger picture is, is that as a, as a sports fan that just watches sports, there is nothing worse than a single elimination playoff format if you actually care about your team. If you're yeah. just watching, there's nothing as wildly entertaining as the NCAA tournament. Single elimination all the way through. But if you give a shit about a team, like I'm I no secret, I'm a Xavier Musketeers fan, married into a Xavier family. They were um they were a, a high seed and they got knocked out of the one of their best teams ever got knocked out on a buzzer beater three by Wisconsin. They play that game 10 times. Xavier wins at nine. And this was the one game that they lost in that scenario. And yep. to have a a full soccer season, you play a full soccer season, you play all these games and everything comes down to your form on one day. It just sucks. And yeah. I like the idea that you'll get a couple of games to um in the group stage and I, I think it increases the likelihood that the best team wins in the playoffs and wins the cup and i think that's good for the league i think it's better for the league when the best teams sort themselves out to the top and you can start to build some actual following for some of these good teams and create some brands like the new york yankees like you know you know, the Boston Red Sox, like the brands where people expect these teams to win versus how fucking crazy the league is every year and how the playoffs tend to always produce weird results. Yeah. No, uh, can completely agree. I mean, I'm, you're giving me flashbacks to uh, Johnny Cueto being rattled in Pittsburgh. Like, just the entire yeah. baseball season coming down to one game feels, I don't know, heretical. Like, it's just a terrible idea. Um 
Yeah, so I don't know. I I think I like it. I think MLS needs to do some way midway through the season to somehow break the best teams away from the worst teams. I don't know how you do that. It doesn't need to be proper pro rel, but if anybody is really curious, Belgium uh, in particular has a model that I think we could copy that would be interesting to raise the stakes in the middle of the season instead of backloading all the drama. Um, And then finally... uh, as of recording, it was the first three rounds. This is the entire MLS draft uh, was tonight. Um, we were the 22nd pick and somehow came away with a generation Adidas player. So that's fun. Uh, feels like a great move from Chris Albright. Uh, unless every other GM ahead of us knew something about this guy that we didn't know. Uh, it feels like great value. Um, and then the interesting uh, pick was in the third round. Uh player from uh navy uh academy air force. or air force sorry uh one of yeah, the uh, stolen uh, valor jeez oh, <laughs> i didn't say i was playing for the air force <laughs> he stole his valor oh, okay and gave it to somebody else who right. may be equally deserving um and um if i remember all my friends that went into the service though it would be more insulting to call a navy person from the air force than it would be to call an Air Force person from the Navy. I forget, like somebody said, uh, I had a friend that was, I had a, I had a couple of roommates that were ROTC people in college, and it was the Marine stands for my ass rides in Navy equipment. Um, <laughs> and the nice. Air Force was the chair force. They all made fun of those guys. Like I had a couple of friends that went into the Air Force JAG and yeah. they gained weight in basic training because there was no real work to do. I don't know. There's, there's this weird military <laughs> subculture of they all have reasons that they hate each other. And if you put one from one branch into the other branch, you're invariably ruffling someone's feathers in some service. Yeah. I uh, I mean, it's funny because uh, Space Force turns out uh, unassailable. Uh, everybody, everybody looks up to them. Um, Grayson. Draft uh, pick takes. What what you, what are your thoughts? Do we have thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I have I have thoughts, but my overarching thought is just like nobody really knows anything. Whoa! Um, I watch about these players. at least thirty hours a week of college soccer, <laughs> sir. Um, I mean, I I think I I mean I like the the ideas behind the picks for sure. I mean. Getting a generation yeah. Adidas guy at 22 at center back, which is a position of need. Um, we were pretty successful with Ian Murphy last year. So, you know, you take um, Acapono, Murphy, and Hagland together and then maybe sign a stud to be one and two with Miazga. It feels like a pretty good center back room in theory. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've said on the podcast before that, like, Generation Adidas defenders are a very mixed bag um, over the years. And then just defenders in the draft period. I mean, Albright's got a decent record, though, yeah. of picking guys. But uh, I was trying to figure out, I guess we should say who we picked. But uh, first, I, I was trying to figure out, like, what what to make of all the trades. Yeah. It, it, seemed, like, it seemed like game and picks were flying in every direction for the first, like, 12 to 15 uh picks and the i first I where I settled picks. on it yeah i just in case anybody wasn't watching and god i hope you had something better to do on a uh <laughs> wednesday night here um the first 12 
picks in this draft were traded, uh, either for Gam or for other picks. It was very bizarre for a draft that has had its usefulness questioned for years and years and years. It, it, I, I couldn't tell if it mattered more or if it mattered less. Like, was everybody trying to get out of making a pick or was everybody like so desperate to be picking players? I, I don't know. I guess it's, the the concept of selling something but yeah it was it was a very weird scenario i do want to at least say on the podcast who else fc cincinnati drafted in front of me so i'm glad yeah. you do well i i'm gonna i'm gonna say it anyway um Please. second round pick was uh hunter morse a goalkeeper from western michigan uh this feels like an fcc2 guy to me he um, played for Detroit City, I think, at one point in his career. Yeah, I think that's yeah. right. Um, and apparently he went to Michigan yeah. State Did, and transferred didn't get paid to by Western Detroit Michigan. City, I'll bet. Right. Go. Um, apparently he was on the Michigan State team that knocked out Celentano's Indiana team from the ah, NCAA that's right. playoffs. Um, but also, apparently he was at a goalkeeper combine with Paul Rogers last week, where <laughs> FC Cincinnati had a bunch of... Um, had a bunch of college keepers uh come out to mercy health and he was one of the guys so you know whatever. talk about doing your homework the, the assignment the night before right yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and then third third round we kind of alluded to it uh london agato he's another center back um he was actually projected 16th on mlssoccer.com's big board for what it's worth again i can't stress this enough Nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> it's a it's a crapshoot. We're just doing our best here. Yeah. Um. So it's. I mean, maybe maybe he dropped because of his service commitment, but there's a bill in Congress right now that would excuse him from his yeah. service commitment. Not because they're trying to help him out, but because the NFL is involved. Right. No, and he's just a byproduct. <laughs> right. Because there's of, a there's an army of, linebacker projected to go in the first round. Is why this is happening. <laughs> um. But if you had to do a service, maybe you can do it at right path. Yeah, true. You know, and just come down for, for games. You can he, fly a drone from home on an Xbox controller. That feels doable. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I, man, I wanna, if BTS has to serve in the DMZ, he has to go serve his country. All right? That's, that's all just, I'm saying. I'm just still fixated on making Grayson the Mel Kuyper of college soccer. I think we can do yes. this. I really do. <laughs> I really think this is doable. I mean, you could, there's so much you could just straight up lie about that nobody would be able to tell you otherwise. Like, oh, he turned down the Generation Adidas contract because he thinks he's going to make more money earlier in his career. Or he, you know, he had uh, offers from Duke, but decided to go to Eastern Wyoming for the playing time. Like, nobody is looking that shit up to, to oh, double guy, check you. This guy turned down a generation Adidas deal every year he was in college. Like, <laughs> that was so good. Because like, 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 why would somebody do that? Like, no, I'd, I'd rather make $65,000 for doing the same thing than I could make $120,000 doing. Oh, no. And what you really need to do is you really need one specific body measurement to fixate over. Like in the NFL with quarterbacks, it's like we're obsessed with how big their hands are and they take hand measurements. And that has some impact allegedly on gripping a football, throwing a football. So like, 
I would need you in this theoretical role to be really concerned about foot size. That is foot measured out at <laughs> however many centimeters. Um, toe width was this and that like you have figured out that there is some correlation between foot width and foot. I know Quentin Tarantino and Rex Ryan are just loving this conversation. Big time listeners. But um, that if you were just obsessed with foot size while doing this in the measurables, you could probably yeah, so get a lot of clicks from some weird side, fucking people, is- too. <laughs> so he, so he's six five, which is you know good height for a center back, but he wears size ten shoes. Red flag, Ooh, red flag, yeah, no, red be flag. Careful. Yeah, <laughs> he's gonna fall over. He's top heavy. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> I think we're done talking about the draft. That was way too much draft talk. My god. <laughs> oh, and that's gonna do it for FCC news. Weirdly, a lot of FCC to talk about this week. That was very, very fun. Merry Christmas to the pod for finally having some FCC to talk about. Um, all right, part two, we're uh, we're ditching soccer. We're going to go a uh, little outside of the box in the 11 out of the 18 and then a very special holiday edition of the film room in that we're we watched Avatar. Uh, yes, that Avatar, not not the uh, not the anime from Nickelodeon or whatever, the actual Avatar movie. Part two. Here we go. Okay, <laughs> I'll I'll go I'll go uh, two barrel. I'll give you my in the eleven, out of my eighteen. Uh, in my eleven, holiday light displays. I'm a sucker for it. All right, I'm a kid at heart. I love a good holiday light display. I like travel. I like is a fun weeknight activity. We we go out. We try to find like houses with good light displays. Huge fan. If you've like rented the amateur radio and uh, you've got like a, a a light and dance thing hooked up to a uh, radio station awesome where, well where, done. Do you fa- where do you fall on inflatables i hate inflatables yeah no inflatables it's such are trash. a cheat i will say i finally broke down and i got one of those like projectors but it's a laser light projector on the garage doors so it's kind of hard to illuminate and looks pretty dope I kind of like it. Yeah. There's a there's a house down on the end of my street that has the Santa riding a Harley inflatable and I'm just like, oh God. you know what? Ugh. Just just do less, okay? So, I also I'm not a fan of like, I mean, one any inflatable, but any like non-holiday inflatable with a Santa hat disrespectful and then especially if it's a non-holiday character with nothing Christmassy, you've just inflated a baby Yoda on your front lawn. What are you doing? <laughs> You're in the wrong holiday. That's a <laughs> Halloween decoration. Like, come on now. Uh, <laughs> um, out of my 11, or out of my 18 even, um, I'll kick them all the way out. Uh, college coaches complaining about NIL recruiting. God damn it. This was mine. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, God. Good. Are we going to da- talk about I Dabo right now, too? it. They've built this in the program of, on God's name, image, and likeness. Not not this program. Um, this program. Because I love program, I love a good sorry. I love a good program. And <laughs> God damn it, if that wasn't the greatest quote ever, as he's ranting <laughs> otherwise about he goes on this long rant too about how kids should have to sit out a year before transferring, that they can transfer as many times oh. as they want if their coach leaves or whatever, but they gotta sit a year out because these kids these days don't understand sticking with something. 
And if they don't learn to stick with something oh and finish God. the commitments they made, which is the most hilarious thing for a college coach to say is, no, you don't understand. Yes. People need to learn some commitment around here. <laughs> And I promise you, next season, regardless of how well Clemson does, Daba's name will be floated around as a potential coaching option at whatever big school has an opening. And if he doesn't move, he'll get a nice big fat contract to stay put. And maybe his assistant coaches will go get head coaching jobs. The coaches are allowed to move. The administrators are allowed to move. The, uh, you know, everybody around the program is allowed to move. But if the kids decide to move, it's the end of the world. I hate it. I, I mean, look, if you want to give these guys contracts, that's fine. Uh, but then, like, you're putting that on the player to sign the contract and you have to pay them for that contract. But, yeah, I don't want a single coach who ever left before their contract was up to complain about this. Just the yeah, worst people. I, I mean, I'm hard pressed to come up with something like more godless than you know like college football right and the, the sanctimony of these college coaches just never never fails to amaze me but that reminded me of an of i would say a funnier uh coach <laughs> religious moment uh, a couple weeks ago when um the boston celtics played a game and uh uh i don't know the royal family william and kate yeah William yeah. Kate showed up and sat courtside and the press was ask, asking the players and all them about like how it felt to play in front of the Royal family. And, you know, everyone had their kind of unimpressed uh, comments, but the coach when asked about it, he's like, who? They're like the Royal <laughs> family. And he said, Jesus, Mary and Joseph. <laughs> and they said, no, the, you know, the, royal family, the only Royal family I know is Jesus, Mary and Joseph. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> like, that's that's funny. <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, worth pointing out, Clemson University, public university, not a religious school. Probably right. shouldn't have built the program on God. <laughs> yeah, probably alienating at least one or two people there. I was in I was in Boston when the royal family was there, and boy, did the Uber drivers have takes on the traffic that was being created whenever they went anywhere. And it was all it was all hilarious to me because they're all in the most stereo like, they all sound like Peter Griffin, like the most stereotypical New England accents, talking about the these fucks from England and ruining everything. The one guy was like, you know, I thought we fought a war to not have to care about these people. And it's like, um that's, that's I'm right there with you, take. man. I'm right there with yes. you. Yes. <laughs> uh Chief, now that I've stolen yours, God, what, go what's to Grayson, in your 11 you, out of your 18? You, you screwed oh, okay. me on this one. You screwed me on this one. I gotta think. Grayson, go All for right. it. So my my in my in eleven and out of eighteen are kind of a companion uh, piece here. So um, in the eleven is I would say uh, anonymity masks. It was on my mind uh, recently Ooh. because of what is in out of my eighteen. But I was thinking about you know um, you know the Electronic Freedom Foundation has a section on their website about how important it is to. Uh, protect the right to speak anonymously because, um, I mean, for obvious reasons, that's something that we care about in this podcast. But <laughs> it's it's when you can like you know speak without fear of retribution or or right. censorship or or cancellation or consequences or whatever. Um, and you know, Slavoj uh, Žižek, the Slovenian philosopher, has a whole thing about the importance of like masks in like culture and art, mm. where characters that you know, kind of, I guess, paradoxically, 
put on a mask and it allows them to be their uh, true self, right? right? And he kind of talks about them in... This is funny. You like how the Jim Carrey movie, The Mask? <laughs> of course <laughs> he did. Well, I mean, of course he did. You know, like, what, he's what, constantly going through life like inhibited and intimidated and he puts on the masks and he becomes, you know... But isn't, isn't in, in the movie... The, capable of isn't in the movie The Mask, doesn't he also consult with like a psychologist that writes a book about masks? Ben Stein. Stein. Think, it, yeah, Ben Stein, I think, plays a character who writes a book about masks that Jim Carrey goes to see when he's like, no, I'm talking about the metaphorical masks we all wear in society. Boy, this is like <laughs> this is going deep down the rabbit hole right here. Never mind. But yeah, we'll so add to the good. film room at some point. So so what I would just say is like, you know, what I, I this is my guarantee. What you hear from us on this podcast is is mostly like what we really think what we say is how we see it right you don't have to agree i don't care but we're not trying to you know massage things or try to present like a unrealistic uh viewpoint of ourselves to you know make you like us or whatever um which brings me to my out of my 18 yeah, i was curious where this was going is um <laughs> is uh people who use their real face and name <laughs> wait a second i've been attacked shots fired so specifically specifically i'm talking about people who put themselves out because they want you know money power sure uh, they want to manipulate you in some way they want clout that's me actually this because like uh uh george santos have you guys heard this story he's was no. recently elected to congress out of out of long island Oh, is this and the guy that lied about everything? Yeah, basically yeah. <laughs> the only true things about him is that his name is George Santos. And he like maybe lives in Long Island. He lied about going to college. He lied about where he went to college. He lied about his mom being Jewish. He lied yeah. about his his mom's parents fleeing what? Uh, Ukraine. He said his he said his mom's parents like fled Ukraine to escape the Holocaust. Is this the same guy who claimed he had employees die in the Pulse nightclub shooting? Yes. He said he had what? four. He said he had four employees die yeah. in the Pulse nightclub shooting. He's in Long Island. <laughs> the fuck um, is this? He has he has apparently a fake company that he says is worth eighty million dollars, but he's he says they're a capital introduction company, which is like. You rep, you take funds and you take people with money. And you like put them in the same room to help them like match up. He's supposed you're supposed to identify like major clients on financial disclosures if you run for Congress. He's not identified a single client he's ever used. <laughs> people on Wall Street are like, I don't know who this guy is. I don't. I would feel like I would know somebody who's got a capital introduction company worth eighty million dollars. No one knows where his money comes from because like. Three, four years ago, he was literally sued by his landlord for like $2,000 in unpaid rent. <laughs> it, it, so this guy is just, this guy is fire fest as a person. Like you get these people. Yeah. And he's just somebody who just everything, everything out of his mouth, except as far as we know, his name is a lie. So did anything he lie about, is any of it? illegal like did he lie on any official election form because this might be a real strategy to to win some elections here yeah so i, I do think they're looking into um tax records and okay. campaign finance and financial disclosure stuff because like it looks like somebody maybe just gave him seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. 
and just like yeah. run for and Congress. He pretend, and, he pretend, and he pretended it was from, you know, his company. His investments. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Brilliant. I love it. No, I love it. Just, you know, no, it just goes back to what we were talking about with the super draft. Nobody fact checks anything anymore. So just fucking go for it. Like, if no one's going to actually check what you're saying, as long as you keep saying stuff that is on that edge of ridiculous, like so ridiculous, no one would lie about it. And also yeah. that mundane level of lying. It's like, oh, yeah, no, I've started three companies. You know, they're never companies you would have heard of. So don't worry about it. But, yeah, I've been venture capital approved for years. Um, you know, I climbed Mount Everest once. I didn't bring a camera with me because I find the people that take pictures of it. They're just doing it for clout. But I've actually been there and been yeah. up to the mountaintop. You know, just shit like that. Who's going to call you on it? Apparently no one. There's a. There's a story actually that Carl Rove likes to tell about something about like a, a moment in his career. And I think it was so Ann Richards had picked this woman as her kind of successor and she was appointing her to this big position. Ann Richards, former governor of Texas, uh, preceded George W. Bush, I believe. She appointed this woman to this this big important board that's like a stepping stone to political office in Texas. And this woman was very successful, very smart, had accomplished a lot. Um, but he found out, like, the one thing about her was that she lied about finishing college. Was mm. that she went to college at, at Texas, but didn't quite finish her degree, but was going around saying that she had a degree from the University of Texas. And he ruined her life with this information. Like, she just did, she, her entire career was stopped at his tracks. She was kicked to the curb, never, never was able to do anything. And today you get guys who, you get people who, who make up their entire everything. You know, they lie about their, their family and they lie about their coworkers. They lie about their money. They, oh, the New York Times went to the address this guy's registered at. Yeah. This guy's registered to vote at. And the person living there never heard of it. It's awesome. <laughs> Not I even love a, this hey, guy. Say you're my I want to vote for this guy. Cousin or something. <laughs> I, hell, he may be running for president soon. Why not? Let's keep it going. <laughs> oh, that's that's wonderful. I, lo I love the dichotomy of that and the eleven out of the eighteen there. Um, Chief, have you come up with a replacement yet? Yeah, no, I'm, we're good to go here. Um, in the eleven this week is drinking on christmas eve i don't know if anyone Ooh. else does this but like not specifically drinking on christmas eve but going to the bar on christmas eve there is absolutely no better beer than you will get than at your local watering hole after you've wrapped all your gifts after you've gotten everything taken care of and then you can wander up to a bar someplace close by and just have a few with the regulars they everyone's excited to see you and when you walk in and sit down and have that first one after you've gotten all your christmas stuff done it is like the deepest most relaxing sigh or like the best shit you'll ever take it just it just feels so incredible <laughs> to finish everything you're doing and crack open a beer sitting at the bar watching you know the the who gives a shit bowl sponsored by inuit TurboTax. like it's phenomenal right. i can't recommend it enough it is the one thing i look forward to most in the holidays and i don't know if you guys have experienced this or if anyone else has experienced this, but I am, I cannot wait for Christmas Eve and wandering up to the local bar and just tossing a few back. I can't say I'm I've ever done drinking. It. I'm yeah. not saying that drinking on the days that that a lot of people aren't. Yeah, like going to the bar like after Thanksgiving. Um, 
definitely not going out on, on New Year's Eve because that's amateur no, hour. That's amateur hour. No, it sucks. Um, but, you know, you get to the place and it's just like kind of slow. It's the regulars. Bartenders are in a decent mood and they're not overworked and you can just kind of, yeah. you right. know, sit and just kind of enjoy yourself and, and chat with them. Quick three DPs of low-key best times to go to a bar. Number one is night before um, Christmas, night before or Christmas night. Those nights where it's like it's a holiday, but the bar is still open, but it's not a drinking holiday. Everyone's at home doing their right. own thing. Number two is a snow night when the roads are going to be shitty yep. the next night. And you can if you can find a bar that you can get to without worrying about wrecking your car on the way home, going to the bar yes. while it's snowing out is an all time great time to be at the bar. Uh, number three. Happiest bartenders. Yes. Yeah, because it's just a guy who could get there to open up and he's going to take all the tabs or she's going to take all the tabs, all the tickets, make all the tips. It is a great night to be at the bar. So number three, best time to be at the bar. Low key, the NIT. Especially when you're gambling on the NIT, the game is on. No one else is paying attention to it. You got money on the NIT. Maybe it was because just Xavier played in it. But NIT, NIT for the bar is it's it's everything the NCAA tournament is. Uh, but it's just you focused on it. It's an incredible experience. I can't recommend it enough. All right. So out of the Beautiful. eighteen, out of the yes. eighteen is Florida. Um, oh, all right. Yeah, no, for any number of reasons, but. The, uh, there was a story I stumbled across while I was desperately looking for something else to be out of my 18 since you took Dabo Swinney. And um, yesterday <laughs> at the uh, Fort Lauderdale City Commission meeting, uh, three dominatrixes uh, gave public comment proposing to build a quarter of a million dollar dungeon to be used for the public. And they showed up in full dominatrix gear. And I'm a sucker for any story that involves people <laughs> going to community council meetings or city council meetings fully dressed up in a costume yes. for their specific reason. If there was one photo that I think perfectly sums up American culture, it is the photo of the San Diego City Council where the super fan of the Chargers, Boltman, showed up in full Boltman <laughs> yes. costume with the shoulder pads <laughs> and the foam head to address city council asking if they do something to keep the Chargers. I think that if if local access goes away, um, if cameras go away from inside city council meetings, we will all suffer as a society because you will miss photos and pictures of people like um, like I'm going to send this in the group chat just so that you guys can see a, a live reaction of exactly what I'm talking about here. Please. And you miss life when you don't see things like this on a regular basis. Um, it's <laughs> that's, that's, that's a more intense <laughs> outfit than I was anticipating. That looks like Daft Punk. I, was, I thought the same thing. <laughs> I gotta be, I've never seen, I mean, maybe I've been out of the game too long. I've never seen that eyewear before. I don't know if that's the new uniform. It's, yeah. it's throwing me for a loop here. That's great. <laughs> Big fan of Cyberpunk 2077, apparently. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, well done. That Florida, was a solid, of course, a solid recovery. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the quick scan on Twitter. The quick scan on Twitter never fails. Oh my gosh. Um are we ready? Are we ready for film room? Are we ready to get into Avatar? I've been ready. I'm oh, so hyped okay. for this. Okay. 
So to set this up, I don't know. Uh, Avatar Two is coming out. It's been, it's believe it's it or not, thirteen years since Avatar One. Yes, Avatar Two is out. I apologize. It was coming out when we came up with the idea. Uh, Avatar came out two thousand nine. Uh, goes on to be the highest grossing movie of all time, smashing all sorts of records. I don't believe Infinity War beat it. Maybe it did. Um, Endgame beat it, but then Endgame Avatar was re-released. And and then due to the took re-release, Avatar took it back. Which should be pointed out, Avatar got this title by being re-released. It felt like every couple of years since it was right. released. Uh, versus the movie the theater. Versus right. the movie that beat it, that it took. Okay, the only thing that could knock off Avatar was the culmination <laughs> of thirty other fucking movies. A ten-year story arc. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it, incredible. So, uh, Avatar, a James Cameron uh, film and passion product. James Cameron also just like incapable of making a movie that isn't a massive blockbuster success. Um, Titanic, Aliens, uh, Terminator True 2, lies. I believe was him. Terminator, yeah. Terminator 2, um, True Lies. The Abyss, I think, too, was James Cameron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did we say Titanic? Um, yeah, Titanic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, That was that was the okay. first, you know, He's mega grossing film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good stuff. Um how do we I mean everybody listening to this has seen Avatar, right? Do we want to just dive right in? Well, First I think impressions like, or well, no, like the reason why I wanted to do this yes, was please, a, talk to I, me. you know, the sequel's coming out and I'm gonna see it. So I was gonna rewatch this movie anyway. But it occurred to me when yeah. I was talking with a couple friends at work that there are a ton of people who watched this movie when it came out and then never watched it again. And I haven't seen this movie since I saw it in theaters. And that's kind of bananas for the highest grossing movie of all time. Um, and I thought back to myself, I probably hadn't seen this movie. I might have watched the DVD or the Blu-ray when I got it originally mm-hmm. right after this came out. But it had been probably every bit of 10 years, 11 years since I'd actually watched this movie. And my memory of yeah. watching it originally was I really liked this movie when it came out. Um, I think I saw it twice because I took my my then girlfriend to see it. And then I went with a couple of friends like a week or two later. Uh, yeah. But rewatching this movie, I think it not only holds up, I liked it on rewatching it more than I even remembered. And I remembered really liking this movie. I know that it's got a, it's kind of got a shit reputation in the years that followed for being incredibly derivative of other ideas, but this movie works on so many levels. And I, after you guys give your first reactions, I'd, got a couple things I want to talk about. Yeah. So, um, my, my, my initial reaction is like, yes, I remember at the time hearing all the criticisms about how derivative it is. Um, I think that the elements that people latch onto act as kind of a Trojan horse to deliver, I think probably the only truly radical blockbuster in film history. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard the criticism, like, you know, Avatar's made all this much money, but it's not really something that's made a big um, impact on, you know, pop culture more broadly. Yeah. And I really do think it's because what the movie puts in front of you is, you know, ideologically and experientially so different 
from anything that you get from any other movie and what we're used to seeing in movies that people that we just weren't we're like not prepared to like fully come to grips with it and the only people i think who really saw avatar immediately i mean some people probably some other people also probably did but the group of people i think that only really saw avatar for what it truly is when it came out is like far right-wing conservative pundits yeah who, who hated went it absolutely crazy because I did, yep. I did a search of like articles and the weekly standard's gone so you can't you can find some other articles because they've been like cross-posted but you can find dozens and dozens of articles um from conservative outlets having extremely strong reactions to this movie and calling it you know radical calling it anti-american all of this stuff there was a time being like well that's just you know that's just it was kind of vaguely aware of some of that noise, just like, oh, that's typical conservative, you know, blather about about Hollywood. But like there's some very right. there's they some write. very they anti-American imagery in this movie. Yes. Very hundred yeah, percent. And when I think about Avatar, and this is the last thing I'll say, but for Kevin, you can give your reaction. I think it's I think it's very <laughs> important to remember good. that the movie that beat Avatar for Best Picture was the Hurt Locker which is right. much more typical of the kind of movies that are made about like the American Imperial project right. that we're used to seeing, which, and like, there's no other way of saying this, right? They call them, they're called kind of pejoratively like shoot and cry movies right. where they take, you know, these things and they focus, they center the narrative. The main character is on like the soldiers of empire who were going to this other place and its impact on them yeah and avatar tells the story and i'm not saying like i'm not drawing a one-to-one -one comparison about real events right but avatar is like a movie that truly tells like the story of like colonization and imperialism and you know resource extraction from the perspective of the people who are actually experiencing it yeah so I guess I'll serve the role as the hater here. Um, I, I, I actually found I like this movie less on rewatch. I saw it twice in theaters and saw it on Blu-ray whenever that came out shortly thereafter. Um, I was a big fan of it because I thought like visually it was an incredible theater experience. And I don't think you can truly appreciate this movie if you're not watching it in a movie theater, if any even then, like it needs to be in 3D. And even then, you know, you want one with like, I don't know, the extreme like audio package that'll like rumble your seats and stuff like that. Because um, it's very much a designed for the theater experience. I remember the takes at the time being like Avatar was going to save the movie theater business because at that point, it, there was nothing that theaters could do that could compete with your home. <laughs> like it was just a, a subjective or an objectively worse experience to watch a movie in a theater than at home until Avatar sort of presented so much technology that the average home theater could not surpass it. Therefore, you had a reason, which is the whole reason why theaters, I think, hung on even through the VCR era, et cetera, et cetera. So I view this movie very much as a product of its time in that I it's almost impossible for me to view this movie as anything but an Iraq war film 
film. Like there is a lot of the same like verbiage that was used. They talk about a shock and awe campaign, and there were a couple. If you're either with fight us or against us, fight terror with terror was the classic. Like you know, we have to go to the dark side. Like there was a lot of like Iraq War things, and I think. Grayson, I understand your point there, but I think it falls apart if you were to set Avatar in Iraq and you're like, oh, that'd be an interesting movie. But then think about the Jake Sully character for a moment. He joins the Iraqi insurgencies and it's only by him being the messiah of Islam that he is going to free the Iraqi people from the it, it falls apart real quick when he becomes the savior. No, but he's not he's not the savior. Like but he's he not. Is. But he he mounts the dragon. He's the guy or whatever. No, in the first in the first act of the movie, because <laughs> I hadn't I when I watched it, I'd forgotten about this. There's the seed scene where all the seeds land on him. And it's it's and there's another scene right before right. that where she's about Natiri's about to kill him and the seed falls on her arrow. So and then later on in the third act, when he prays for the uh Awa or the spirit uh to come yeah. and save them, his prayers are straight answered by that. And I think it's very clear. And but I, I don't agree with your take in this regard, Kevin. It's a sci-fi movie. To a certain extent, right. there's going to be elements that don't work and don't right. go one to one because of the science fiction element of all this. But no, I think it's very clearly set up in this movie that he is chosen and called by the spirit of this planet. Which, I think, yeah. I think, so I think that it's I think and I think the sci-fi element's important because you literally yeah. can't do what he does in this movie like in real life <laughs> right <laughs> and because he his his human body dies and he literally becomes part of the collective and like they are collective they're not like individual navi they're part of the planet's whole collective like so right. weaver makes that point that there's you know exponential exponents of connections yeah. between the trees and the animals and everything and they all communicate with each other it's not able hearing him it's he is he has become part of the planet and he's able to communicate it communicate with it the same as all the rest of them and he doesn't save the day so to speak the planet rises up and, and think, saves itself and i, I think that the the, like, import, the important part they make about that is that he is the perfect avatar for that because unlike all the other people that are the that that run the avatar program he's the only one that isn't trying to to teach them wisdom like he is not a scientist. Right. He does not come from an era where he thinks that there is a better way to do things like Sigourney Weaver's character is very interesting in this movie in that she's completely misguided as to yeah. what yeah. her role there is. Like she's teaching them with a the school and it's like, that's all well and good. But like the movie makes a very clear point that what she has to teach them, they do not need at all. Right. Right. And they don't want it. And it's the purpose of her teaching them is that, you know, they make the, him becoming part of their culture, the the purpose they see of that is to learn about them and how to how to defeat them, right? Right. That's the same purpose the the let's call them like NGO crew has. Right. You know, they right. think they're there to do academic study, but nobody's giving you money to go to this place that they want the resources out of to do academic study unless you're doing it in service of their of their program right. of resource extraction. And it's like, there's all these managers, you know, like, 
every step yeah. of the way. And there are people who like see themselves as different from the soldiers. Like even Giovanni Ribisi, the company guy. And I love yeah. how James Cameron like always has like, oh, this is the this is yeah. the guy the from Paul the Paul Ri- the Paul Reiser Roar. Paul Reiser Roar. Um, <laughs> even he like views himself as like not as bloodthirsty as the the Colonel Borich, I think his name is. Yeah. I try to remember. I try yeah. to remember names. Yeah. As, but, um, yeah, it's Miles but, like, Queerich. He, yeah. So they try to. So they, they tell him he's like, you know, Queerich does the thing where he's like, oh, we'll, we'll use gas. We'll do it humanely. And then right. he gives Jake Sully like a moment to try to talk, talk them into moving. But ultimately, like the point of this is just that he's going to go there right? regardless of whether they're or not. And the little things he tells himself about, he's, you know, a good person and there's nuance and conflict here. It's all just lies to, to make himself feel better. And the same is true with Sigourney's Weaver's character. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just I, keep I just, coming back. Yeah. So like, she has to die. Yeah. So, the one thing I think that just taking a step back, because we're sort of dancing around this, is that people that hate this movie are the reason why we can't have nice things when it comes to movies, why we can't have new original ideas, yes. and why life is just an endless parade now of remakes, reboots, sequels, prequels. The movie that knocked this off, Endgame, is just an adaptation of the Infinity Gauntlet comic book. There was no new ground blazed in that. It was telling a story that had already been written in comic book form for years. And this movie, when I was watching it, the first act of this movie, the first like hour and a half, hour and 15 minutes, is a masterclass of writing in world building because they managed to do all the world building you need for this movie in about an hour and 15 minutes. Um, And it's incredible how subtly it's done in some cases and unsubtly it's done in other cases. So like you get like a real bad info dump from Giovanni Ribisi when he talks to Sigourney Weaver and he introduces the concept of unobtainium. And on that note, everyone makes fun of unobtainium. I got news for you. (laughs) If they discovered this substance somewhere in the universe, it would have a dumber name. It would be named like Roddenberryum (laughs) because the person who found it was a Star Trek fan and would name it after like the USS Enterprise or some shit like that. Like the people who name these things are (laughs) fucking nerds. They are science nerds that grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and watching Star Trek and they give shit weird names. Like Unobtainium, honestly, was the most believable thing in this movie that of course they would call it that. But you get like that info dump that's, that's, that's overt, but then you learn all sorts of really subtle shit. Like when they have Jake Sully wheel himself off the uh, the tra- the transport, just by doing that, you learn a lot of shit about the world you live in. A, you know, they're not giving free medical care to everyone. So you already know this isn't Star Trek. This isn't like a utopian society. Like you learn B, um, that uh, that what he's going through, he has to like, there's money still involved. He's still got to pay for things. Right. Um, just the way these characters interact with one another. Sigourney Weaver is still smoking. So it's like we haven't gotten 
away from doing things that are self-destructive about ourselves as well as about what they're doing to the planet. The first shot of them landing at the base, the smokestacks are billowing out smoke that is already reinforcing yeah. the idea that they don't give a fuck about anything that's going on around here. Um, there's a military presence and they talk about uh, where did you serve? And they're talking about places that are in South America so that there's, you know, oh, we're at war, not just in the Middle East any longer. We're at war literally everywhere else in like the the known world. So they they do this throughout that first act. And well, then they get just, out. It's not just South America. No, they say it's a couple different places. South America, right. Because it's but it's like specifically like Jake Sully was injured in Venezuela, right? Right. Is Venezuela? Venezuela is the only South American country, I believe, that's in OPEC. Right. Queeridge um, yeah. talks about, you know, his service in Nigeria. Nigeria, Nigeria yeah. is another oil rich country, right? It's like we it's 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 specifically like we've expanded the resource wars to literally everywhere in the on the earth that we could just that we could that we could take anything of that. Yeah. Right. And that continues when they actually get out onto like the 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 planet when they go out on their excursion. Like you learn everything you need to know about this world and they live in just from them walking around and talking and interacting with things. I, I don't think Cameron gets enough credit in this movie for creating an entirely new IP and telling you everything you needed to know about this movie within the first hour. And that's fucking hard. That's why people don't write new shit anymore because it's really hard to like world build and do this from scratch. It's much easier just to reboot Star Trek or reboot Star Wars and use, you know, everybody knows what warp drive is. We don't have to tell you about this. Just it works the same way as everything else. That was kind of the genius of Seth MacFarlane with the Orville was that he hand waves every bit of world building he doesn't want to do by saying it just works the same way as Star Trek. Don't think about it too much. Right. Yeah. And, and the, I, I just want to say one thing about unobtainium. I think it has to have a stupid name because because <laughs> you need to have you need to have the reaction where you see this beautiful planet populated by these just like incredible, impossible creatures that stretch your imagination beyond its limits. And it's all being destroyed over the dumbest bullshit you've ever heard of. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it puts it puts it into uh, into relief there, um, Chief. Does your does your point get undermined knowing that there is at least four more sequels and potentially eight more sequels planned if Cameron can get this? And Avatar Two was filmed alongside Avatar Three and no. Four, and no. they're planned to come out every two Fuck years that. for the, the foreseeable the, future. The, the reaction, <laughs> the thought I had while watching this is, I am shocked it took this long to revisit this IP, and that there is so much interesting stuff you could do with this IP, like. For example, I would love to see a show, like a TV show on Disney Plus or whatever, similar to For yeah. All Mankind, that talks about how they fucking discovered Pandora. Like, what was it? Yes. Like, what was the process by which they figured out that it was habitable to a certain extent, that they sent the first people there? And what was that like? Like, the process so, of building the ship, that giant ass, like, sleeper ship yes. that gets sent there. I'd this, watch the fuck out of was that. A yeah, this was a take that I had developing as I was watching the movie was it was one of the first times I've watched a movie and thought this would have been so much better as a TV show. Like it's three hours. That's a long time. But give me six hours broken up along, you know, 30 to 45 minute episodes and you can flesh out some character background and like 
we we might have something to work with there. Um, there was just. There's just so much that I find wonky with the movie. And like, to be clear, like Jake Sully is chosen by the spirit because Natiri is going to kill him. She intends to kill him. And later when she brings him back to the tribe, they ask her, why didn't you kill him? And she said he was chosen by Awa or whatever. Like she says that explicitly, which I thought was interesting. And then two, this is the second time our, our friend, Jake Sully is the chosen one as his twin brother was supposed to be the one that was, uh, you know, to go on this trip, which I was very upset with Sigourney Weaver's character. She is so pissed at him for just existing with a similar DNA to his twin brother. And she is like so upset and like angry and like upset with him. Like it felt like as a scientist, like trying to get her mission done, like she'd be slightly more appreciative that like this horrific human tragedy actually had like a plan B built into it. Nope. I don't know. <laughs> it's, 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 it's because she thinks she is different from the quote unquote jarheads. Right. Sure. She has to hate him because she is, he is mixing now the military with her thing, which she has told herself is a separate thing that is serving separate purposes. Right. It's, a, it's a good thing for for science. And right. I also, I mean, I'll give, I'll give it to you though that that it is somewhat coincidental that Jake Sully is the character that we follow, and he's also the one who's involved with the events of the movie. I think I agree that that's like kind of a big coincidence. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm the, just saying. The, the I, scene that you're talking about, Kevin, though, that was one that I took note of that like, oh, it was I understand why they had to do it for plot purposes. But I thought to myself, right. All right. So this guy's been in cryo for five years traveling to this planet. Presumably Sigourney Weaver found out that the other dude died and he was coming five years ago when five he boarded the ago. ship. <laughs> Like, I, I would think she would have worked out all the anger by that point. I mean, and it would have helped if there was like a lot when that like they just now told her, oh, by the way, it's a different guy you're getting. But they don't say that. So it just seems like she's been very mad and she chooses this moment because we need to have uh, Giovanni Rabisi give his info dump on what's going on. And the that's where you learn about unobtainium yeah. for the first time. And they needed to do all that sort of explaining right there. And this was a convenient now, reason to interact with him. Oh. I'll give the movies yeah. yeah, I'll give the movie some some credit here in that we actually don't know how long it takes to relay a message. And it's possible she learned about this when he rolled himself off the carrier. Maybe that's a thing. But I also might have suggested he didn't need to sleep for the five years or however long the trip was. He could have spent that time training. Five years is a long time. But if you're doing this top secret thing where it requires like this insane investment, maybe teach him the language and teach him the general ins and outs of the project and things like that. Um, which the is fine. The people in seem like they're all that conscientious about the science. Of yeah, course, which, this is, this is something they have to do like, for PR they reasons. They say that. that. Yeah, they, they make it a specific point other, that this is a PR right. thing for the company. They don't give a fuck about right. this. She is an instrument of the company. She is 
unwillingly or knowingly and she's just convincing herself otherwise she is working on behalf of the company to give them propaganda so they can have cute pictures of the navi to send back to their shareholders and look we're teaching them english this is very like clearly analogous to the way you know we look at things like missionaries overseas like oh look we are bringing them up we are rising them out of their savagery and the twist in the movie is not really they don't need that from you. They already have everything you're trying to teach them. They just obtained it naturally through evolution and through the symbiosis that they enjoy with the planet itself. Right. Now, they to be clear. to code. No, you do not want to learn to code. No, not just like. <laughs> think, and so like and think about sh- how much better their lives would be. No. <laughs> and everybody, everybody shits on this movie for, um, for the dialogue. The dialogue is fine. For the most part, but like no, it's di- fine. and it's like you know it is it is and you know what I like about it. What I like about it is that it's not this quippy bullshit that every yeah, movie has turned yeah. into since then, where everyone's cracking a joke every third scene, and you're in the middle of this fight, and you have to stop and make some funny comment over the comm system to the person you're fighting with. It plays it you know completely straight which I think is incredible that they got people in hindsight, they got people to go with this completely straight the entire time. Um, and I will the say, other thing I love about this movie, are, sorry, the other thing I okay, love about this movie yeah. before you go on is that I've seen way too many of these movies where like they're an action adventure, you know, kind of pick like this. And there's always a love interest in the movie, right? Like there's always got to be a love interest in the movie. Nateri and Jake are a love interest. Yeah. But you know what I, what I appreciated about this? This is the first movie I've seen in a while where whatever happens doesn't happen over the course of four days. Like I was watching the, right, um, okay, the what was the, uh, it was the mummy, the original Brendan Fraser movie the other day. It was just on, <laughs> on the YouTube TV. I was watching it. I came home from the bar and it's like, he falls in love with like Rachel Weiss's character hanging out with her for a week. It's just like, this is bullshit. Like at least in this movie, they create and they establish enough of a passage of time that it feels right. plausible that he has a relationship with not just her, but that he becomes somewhat trusted by everyone. He learns to, do all the shit that he's claiming to do and i appreciate that they allow time to pass and exist in this movie and it, it was it was a refreshing thing based on how all these other movies in this genre behave right it's, no, like, it's like how it works in james bond movies where like yes it would be like totally implausible that, that james bond was like literally fall in love with these women you know in the course of every movie which is why by and large, he doesn't, right? right I mean, like, right. They, go through, they go through an event <laughs> they together. They kill him off. And they, they go through an event together. If, the, if, if they both survive, they hook up. And then she's gone the next movie. Right. Because, you know... He's moving on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would just say, Chief, to your to your point about the dialogue, I think there is an attempt to have that is the problem. Like the soldier screaming, get some as he fires his 50 caliber that's round out of his. what they say. Yeah, that's just. People that's... literally say that. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you can no, criticize it, it. It sounds like Gears of War. And like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. just so cheesy. It's just like, there's no, like, you're not the only one with guns, bitch. It's like. That's like I don't I don't know what this is if not just like cheesy over the top like faux machismo kind of witty type thing. It's, it's just it's like it's not landing. It's it's landing in the the no man's land of like not funny and witty and not adding anything to it. It's just like filler. Like the scenes could exist perfectly fine without that dialogue, which is probably a bad sign for the dialogue that it's completely unnecessary. I will say this in general, I think the movie is. Fun. 
fine. Like, I think it's fine. I think my problem comes into the fact that it's like, I've, I've finally come up with a good comparison for Avatar, and it's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, great movie, fine. Not an original story. It's a retelling of a classic tale. It was an incredible advancement in technology to do a full-length feature film in animation. The, the multi-plane uh, camera was like a massive invention for Disney. They go on to rock that technology for 50 years and dominate the animated space. But nobody would tell you that Snow White is their favorite movie. Like, it exists almost more as a tech demo than it does as a standalone work of art. Like, this is one of the greatest films of all time. Like, I, I showed my wife after I watched the movie. Is like, there's some good Unreal 5 engine videos on YouTube. I don't think you could call those the best video games, but like insanely impressive tech being demonstrated there. And I think that's where Avatar finally landed for me. It was like, this is really cool. And it probably would have been even better if like all of the Marvel movies used this technology. And then every other movie like adapted this technology. The problem becomes, and James Cameron worked on Avatar 2 for all of those 13 years. It's not like they picked this up last year to like film and, and revisit it. He just takes so long to work with this technology that what you end up with is a tech demo with a really poorly stitched on story to justify the millions of dollars of investment. Yeah, I That's disagree. how I, I, dis I disagree with that entirely. Just, I disagree. I disagree <laughs> with all of it. I don't see yeah. how, you can, how you can say this is a bad story and like, in the same breath, like praise the Marvel movies. Like, first of all, the Marvel movies, like, kind of uniformly look bad. Like, they look bad. Like, the coloring is weird. Uh, like, the movie, like, Eternals. Like, that movie looks like right. shit. That's fair. That's like, fair. The color balancing that. is weird in, in Marvel um, movies. I'll grant you it's that. Because, it's because they don't, they don't, like, they rush through the effects. Like, they don't spend, sure. and there's, like, all types of, articles out there about the the marvel like working for disney right and how like you're rushed through effects and they have these notations in the, in the when the executives are watching it where they're like good enough you right, know, right. Like, like most of the audience like it looks bad but the audience won't care yeah and the, and the 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 bigger thing too with your comparison with snow white is that like i don't think that there is enough appreciation i'll say it again there is not enough appreciation for the amount of world building he does in this movie, introducing all these new concepts to by the end of the movie, when you watch it, most of it hangs together logically, internally with the world he has created with all the concepts that he has laid out about how the creatures interact with one another, how like the tribe works and how like the military tech that he that he speculates on works. And the the it, we I think you just take for granted how hard that is to build that IP from scratch and have it all hang together by the third act. And I think the downfall of Avatar and why Avatar isn't considered a greater achievement for this is because it took 13 years to make the sequel. And if there had been another Avatar movie or another property in the Avatar universe within 48 months of or two years, three years, four years of the original one coming out. And if this was filled with this was moving at the pace Marvel did, yeah. there were already five movies, three TV shows, and you wouldn't be able to escape this idea of what the Avatar universe is. But they made this movie. They did all the world building. They did all the heavy lifting. And then they just stopped. Like they took all the time to create all this. And it took 13 years to get the next movie out. And 
I think that's why it doesn't have a bigger place in the cultural zeitgeist, because what it does to create this, it's so much better than the Marvel movies at doing this info dumping and doing this, you know, aspects of show not tell for how things work in this universe. It's so much better than what passes for modern movies in that regard. And it just didn't follow up on it. So, I, I mean, my defense of Marvel movies is that they are character-driven stories, and it's interesting to see the characters interact, and they're they're different enough characters. None of these characters are particularly interesting. You got military man, businessman, science woman, military man who regrets being military man, and native woman. And it's just like everybody is generic, no depth, no interesting introspection, except for the Kevin Costner Dancers with Wolves character or the John Smith character or the Fern Gully guy character. It's just the same story. And it's like, those stories were good the first four times I heard them. But it's just like, like I hate this type of criticism where somebody like rewrites a movie that's already been written. So like 99% of the work has been done. But imagine like an Avatar movie, I'm gonna do it anyway, an Avatar movie where like Jake Sully and the scientists work to reverse the tech and the Navi people get like human avatars that invade the base and like you you flip it on its head and now it's interesting that way i don't there's just different ways you could have done the story and had a twist on the trope that just there wasn't and it was like here comes the white savior who has to teach the natives how to actually defend themselves because if he, he wasn't there he doesn't, they he, doesn't been he, does, he doesn't teach them anything. anything that's the point of the movie he is that unites he unites all of the tribes which is how they win the final battle without jake sully tribes aren't united the tree is knocked over and right. all their people but, the, but they teach so him. Jake Sully is the only reason why they live. No, they teach him how to do that, though. They teach him like what he needs to do to help them sure. do that. Like he yeah, doesn't. So he's not a, propelling the action forward. It, but it's so the, the planet, planet uses doesn't. Him. He doesn't use them. <sighs> He does. Like, he uses he all the animals and he reunites all no, the tribes. Like that's him doing that. The planet does it. The planet itself is 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 the. Is I'll tell you this: if the planet was trying to repel them, it would have killed the main baddie at the final battle. Because I counted, he goes fifty seconds without a mask, and they said earlier twenty seconds. You're unconscious. I'm just saying. That's, well, he holds. That's, he's already. It's already demonstrated. He can hold his breath. Really well. Yeah, that's they fine. show that in the first he, David, he is breathing at least when he is outside of the airship and then in the mech. Like he, there is no way he's going ten minutes holding his breath at his age at at that you know level of uh, activity. But no, I I just like it's another the white savior has to save them and like it's 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 literally like it 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 turns that. Thing on its head, but he no, uses turn, it to make turning it on you, its head would have been no. killing Jake Sully in the middle of the movie. That would no, have been great. No, that would have no. been so good. Because the movie, the movie needs to, the movie needs to have enough like familiar things to you to actually get you to follow along to what it's actually trying to tell you. And if it's derivative of anything, it's derivative of Doom. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also problematic in much the this same way. Not, it's not problematic. These are made up things. And he can in this universe, he literally can become he can become trans sure. shield. Yeah. Right? Sure, sure. I think as a story that exists in our time with obvious parallels being obvious, I think it becomes slightly problematic. And again, I, I try to well, imagine I this that movie trans to me. <laughs> 
I mean, if we're going transracialism, we got to have Das Harks on the pod. <laughs> I I think you are so dead wrong. This is it, every movie is open to this criticism. You can take any major blockbuster outside of like your art house, super independent movies. Right. Every blockbuster is derivative of other things that came before it because that familiarity with things makes us comfortable accepting the extraordinary things we're seeing on screen. There has to be something that grounds us into the story so that when there's a scene of two blue people fucking underneath, you know, fluorescent trees, we're not completely taken out of the story. No, it it wasn't. No, it wasn't cut. (laughs) That's false. I read about this. Um, Apparently, the blue people fucking with their tails only exists in the extended edition that was on DVD. The original release never had them joining the tails. Right, 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 right. I just, like, I... Derivative is fine. Derivative is fine. It's just you gotta you gotta have your twist. You have to have your spin. And Avatar didn't have the twist because it was or telling us. It was telling. It was telling you something. It was. It's not about oh, is, is there a twist? Am I trying to solve a mystery? People were like, oh, there's people said this. Not even, like, I don't even not, need like a whodunit it for, like, twist. Not being nuanced enough, but like he's telling a he's telling a story with a message with like complete and total moral clarity. So you can't have like the quote unquote people confuse like wishy washiness or apologia with like depth. It's just not always true. Like sometimes you can just tell, you can just say specifically exactly what you mean. Sure. And that's what he did. And the only surreptitious thing he did was hide it in a lot of things that people, um, pe- that that resembles stuff people recognize. So that, like I said before, it's like literally a Trojan horse in that way. Yeah. No, I, to be clear, I mean twist and just like give me dances with wolves, but change some core element of it. Like the set tribe rejects a, him, or set it on another planet where that's, like that's not a twist. You just because if you didn't set it on another planet, you'd literally be remaking dances. I miss, with I, miss wolves. I miss the part in Dances <laughs> with Wolves with Kevin Costner climbs a floating mountain, wrestles a dragon to the ground, and like connects his fucking brainstem to it and flies it. I'm sorry. He breaks I guess a I've wild seen that. horse in that movie, doesn't he? I feel like he does. Or add a, <laughs> or add it. Maybe you add an element where, like, you can actually go one step closer, rather than like be like a mixture of you know your flawed civilization or like a mirror of your flawed civilization or whatever. You can literally kill your human body and surrender into the collective, which is what needs to happen, so that we can finally just like focus on like the beauty and nature like sustainability and what is important versus what everybody else is doing which is killing themselves and everything around them oh uh, but that alien body is one artificial two only made possible by the wealth extracted out of pandora so three is actually antithetical to the entire well, that, narrative that you're spinning I mean, we can have it's like <laughs> it's, it is, it, first of all, it is antithetical. Second, it's not artificial. It's like it's made of like biological tissue. Like it's it's perfectly. Which makes it worse. But of, no, <laughs> where did like, they get this? How many Navi died well, to make Jake Sully's body? Maybe we'll have a maybe we'll have a different discussion about like whether clones have souls or or, right. so, or like whether like it's a, also, artificial also, intelligence can be like a living being like later. It's, it's, but, it's also really funny that any number of these questions might be answered by the sequel already, and we're just shouting yeah, into the void on this. <laughs> 
I, uh, without getting spoilers, it's not present in this movie. My brother pointed this out, so maybe something to keep an eye on. Or maybe you don't want to hear this, but um, the number of fingers the human avatars have versus the Navi is a plot point in the next one. So the bodies are even more different than, than we might have thought. Um, that's probably enough about Avatar. Do we miss anything? <laughs> it's a great movie. I'm sorry. I want to go watch it right now. I might as soon as this we finish taping. Conversation, I might though, actually I go watch this. it. I might actually go watch it again. I don't know. <laughs> to be clear, I I kind of like the movie. I just feel like to get to the next level, it's got to pass through another layer of criticism that it wouldn't get. Like nobody is putting the Marvel movies up there with the greatest movies of all time. And so they're not are, subject though. to a certain no, you level know what of criticism. Movie, you're getting nominated for like best picture. It's yeah, nonsense. but that's just because those but award is, shows are desperate nonsense. for viewers. Right. I saw, so I saw that, I saw that recent, I saw that recent Black Panther. And I want to say, and this is not a spoiler. The villain of that movie is a hundred percent right. <laughs> the first 100%. Black Panther, I was kind of like, Warmongers make yeah, some but, great yeah, points. They threw, in, they threw in some stuff where it's like, oh, maybe he's going too far, or like maybe right, he's, right. you know, not like going about it exactly the right way. The right. second movie, 100% right. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Black but... Panther is like what they would make, is what, it, that is what Avatar would be if it was made like conventionally. Now, you know what Avatar is like? Is, I've been sitting here thinking about it. It's Star Wars, but they never made The Empire Strikes Back. Like if they had just made Star Wars, Star Wars would be remembered as a movie with game changing special effects and a story that is incredibly derivative of old Westerns and samurai movies and shit like that. And it would be remembered as, oh, my God, that's the, the first time in a theater you saw that Star Destroyer come over the screen and that dive yeah. into the trench. It changed everything forever. But at the end of the day, the, story, the characters are kind of forgettable. Nobody really yeah. remembers what the uh the, the pilot was the hot shot <laughs> nobody remembers what his name is the everyone remembers darth vader but it's the it was the sequels that like rose these characters into the cultural zeitgeist beyond just being in that little time and place in the 70s it's empire strikes back like i am your father is why everyone remembers star wars as 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 a real like cultural phenomenon beyond just this this hysteria of the 1970s when people yeah. bought like empty boxes because the action <laughs> figures weren't ready. And so if there had been an Avatar 2 three years later, I guarantee you we would be talking about this original movie vastly differently um, than we talk about it right now. That's interesting. I, I will I will leave with this one connection to Star Wars. Michelle Rodriguez, uh, the pilot in in the movie at the end, her call sign in the final battle, Rogue One. Rogue One. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Star Wars complete copycats of Avatar yeah. confirmed. <laughs> also, does not survive the final battle. Uh, which is real sad. I also um, I don't remember the actor's name. Uh, I only remember him as the uh, uh, like the mean. I, I guess the boss or the uh, the guy who owned the gaming company and grandma's, grandma's boy. boy yeah yes <laughs> and it's like if you I, I had literally just watched that movie when i first watched avatar in the theaters and it's so hard to interpret everything he says is not that character <laughs> very funny <laughs> <laughs> oh okay now that is enough about avatar let's okay Let's let's do World Cup and particularly Soccer Blog Book Club in part three and uh, let's get out of here. We're back. Weirdly, no giant blue people with us this time around. We're talking a lot cooler World Cup. If there was. <laughs> I'm 
what was it? I think it was you, Grayson, who suggested this. What if the Navi's best athletes played soccer? That's, that is just a, a winning article waiting be to be written. Dominant on set pieces. <laughs> Although I think they they're actually to- taller than the goal, which would be a problem. They have carbon fiber bones. That feels like better than steroids. I know anyway. we're not talking. We're not talking about Avatar anymore. <laughs> but it, it is really unsettling in the movie when you finally see how big they are compared to people. Like at yeah. the end when like she's with the actual Jake, Natiri's with the actual Jake, and you're like, oh my god, he's fucking tiny. It's a little baby. <laughs> Enough about um, Avatar. Fuck. All right. Yes. The World Cup uh, wrapped up with, I think it has been universally, uh, you know, uh, acclaimed one of the greatest sporting events of all time. Um, a fantastic finish. Uh, Argentina essentially had to go win the game three times to uh, to, to finally vanquish France. Uh, I know, Chief, you're probably in the same boat as me getting texts from people who aren't soccer people being like this was genuinely an insane match and i really enjoyed it i i don't know if you got those but this was a lot of fun all morning all morning and um it is one of the best sporting events i've watched live in a really really long time yeah um i was trying to think back as to what was more exciting and I'm, i'm thinking about things like you know, Brady coming back from 28 to three, but that wasn't a great game for the majority of the game. That was kind of a dull game until the comeback starts. Um, But that you had this game, it was played at a really high level. It was officiated really well, I thought. Um, And it was, it's really rare. I hate this thing in sports where we break a game down to it's, you know, it's Burrow versus Mahomes or it's this player versus this player. But in this case, they build it as it's Mbappe versus Messi. And it really ended up being Mbappe versus Messi in large portions of this game. And um, the extra time was great. I really do believe if they, this was the best argument you will ever have for if you're one of the play till they fall down people, and say don't go to penalties because it definitely felt like there was at least one more goal in this game if they played five or 15 minutes longer. Um, But it was fantastic. And um, yeah, like for a World Cup that was super maligned by horrendous shit in the buildup, it somehow ended up getting one of the best finals of all time. And that feels unfair to a certain extent. (laughs) Uh, and, I, and the only other thing that I would say about it is that, like, I weep for all of the soccer journalists around the world that have now the, 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 the take is firmly closed on Ronaldo versus Messi. Yeah, it's messy. The, the, the take is over. And I you're just going to have a whole generation of soccer journalists that are gonna have to figure out something else to fucking argue about, I guess. It's going to be funny. I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm just not. A big enough nerd, I guess, to to really know this. Like, who was the argument against Maradona in Maradona's time? Like, it was Maradona versus whoever this other person was. And it's like, no, this is pretty the history has pretty conclusively decided it was Maradona. Like, I think it was like Pele and De Stefano, uh, in in like it was a Real Madrid legend, I think. Argentinian, maybe Uruguayan player that like a lot of people thought was the best of all time before he stepped up. Um, yeah, you never remember number two. So 50 years from now, people will be like, really? Somebody thought Messi was worse than some other guy. But um, yeah, interesting on uh, on that front. And um, the yeah, funny, no, the funny troll on that is everybody yeah. saying like 
oh, Messi winning cements him as the as the greatest of all time. Yeah. Or as better than Ronaldo. I mean, the troll is like, if he doesn't win, he's not the best. He's not the best. <laughs> if if <laughs> Di Maria doesn't place that, or if Martinez doesn't save a penalty, or <laughs> it's just like it's just like the type people like to say like weird hyperbolic stuff like that, and just yeah. like. I mean, if you think he's the best, you think he's the best whether he wins this game or not. Right. No, you yeah, had think, to win this game to be the best. If he didn't do it, it was he was fraud. Fraud status confirmed. Yeah. It was like um uh I, I was listening to the twenty two goals podcast from the ringer, which is pretty good. And uh it brought up the thought experiment of what if like objectively the best soccer player of all time, the best attributes of every soccer player is in this one human being, but he's from Micronesia or whatever. And it's like does Micronesia never winning the World Cup actually take away from this player who would undoubtedly have, you know, won countless trophies in Europe or wherever they played? I think the um, answer I know it's a stupid hypothetical but I'm going to answer it anyway because that's what we yeah. do on this podcast. Um, yeah, please. I think that if Messi was from something like that, no, you can't hold that against him. But because he comes from a country where they could plausibly win the World Cup, his failure to do so becomes a black mark because he's not accomplishing something that he has within his power to influence, if that makes right. sense. Like you can't yeah. hold a terrible team against him. But if the team around him is pretty good, and he doesn't he's deliver. Lift him. He's got to yeah. lift him. Um, I guess the 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 way to get out of the hypothetical is you would say if somebody was that good, you would find some way to claim a different ancestry. <laughs> you would you would go resident in uh, in France for enough time to claim French citizenship and join the French national team in your thirties or whatever. Um, <laughs> um, so, okay, so the reason why we talk about the World Cup here specifically, though, is to get finally, after three, four weeks now, this uh, article into the soccer blog book club, um, which was just wonderful from Aaron Timms of uh, The Guardian. And the title of this is Fox Sports' U.S. World Cup coverage is an unmissable abomination, which is just great place to start. Just electric. <laughs> is this guy- is this guy English? I don't know. So I clicked on his name in The Guardian, as you do. And like the last six things he's written about was the U.S. men's national team. So I think he's American. But at the very least, he's... Wait, I'm going to take that back. Aaron Timms has written for the Sydney Morning Herald. He might be Australian. Uh, Salon and the Daily Beast. He likes sport. There's his bio. That's his full bio. I mean, he's definitely not American. We call it sport. Right. Well, that's true. Or does the Guardian (laughs) editors automatically (laughs) chop off the S just to make sure? Because I feel like an Australian might say sports. Maybe not. No, they say soccer anyway. Um, Okay. So the article is great and just in general, just thrashed uh, Fox here. So I'm just going to start reading this. Feel free to jump in. And then I, uh, after we get through like the first two paragraphs, I might skip around a little bit. Um, The World Cup, exclamation mark, a tournament of frenzied emotion, spectacular goals, heroic, upsets and grand displays of athletic daring and skill 
or if you're watching in the US, four weeks of shouting, relentless commercial promotion, disorienting cuts and changes of channel uh, to make way for college football games and segments in which Alexi Lawless does pump up speeches for the US team that no one in the US team will ever listen to, a global exhibition of Clint Dempsey's ongoing quest to assemble vowels and consonants in an order that resembles words, a month-long celebration of the festival that is Landon Donovan's personality. Um, um, okay, so just solid tell, opening. Tell, tell, <laughs> tell me you don't watch pro sports in America without telling me you don't watch pro sports in America. Like this is, yeah. This is like, oh yeah, they're shamelessly promoting all of these things. Yeah. Have you have you ever listened to Al Michaels do a, a dead live read for some show he is never going to fucking watch on the middle of Sunday the Night disdain Football in their voice? Right. Did I have to do a live read for, you know, the fucking like now on Amazon Prime severance? And it's like he's no idea what any of this shit is. It's just it's this is this is all sports. Is. Is the U.S. getting a different game feed than everywhere else? Because. Isn't the way they usually do it is they have like one yeah. like production crew that then yeah. like sends the feed to yeah. different and regions. That's, that's what we got. We got a global feed that the commentator crew, the commentating crews are in the stadium and are, you know, able to react to whatever they can see in the stadium. But then in front of them we'll have a monitor with the global feed that they can then you know, react to respond to as the feed is is showing in front of them. Yeah, it's not like it's foxes. I think like the cuts are like fox's fault i don't know right right <laughs> yeah i mean i guess it's saying like i i think the cuts and changes of channel i think they're saying specifically like you have to immediately move to fox sports one for the post-game coverage or like for the world cup like there was no way shape or form they were going to not show the nfl game right. at one o'clock like this is this is just a complaint of the fact they moved the world cup to the winner where it's yeah. like they had to shoehorn this into other existing TV contracts. This isn't an issue of like Fox doesn't care about soccer. It's no, we paid for and have an agreement with the NFL, with the Big Ten, with the Big yeah. 12. And FIFA, because they were a bunch of corrupt motherfuckers and gave the games to Qatar when they knew they couldn't host it during the, uh, oh, I'm sorry, air-conditioned indoor sta- indoor stadiums. <laughs> Artificial clouds, it was, yes. Right, <laughs> when it was bullshit, it's like, this is making the best of a situation where Fox was like, well, we have the rights, we're going to do, we're not going to give these up, they're incredibly valuable, and they managed to show all the games. What are you complaining about? Right. Blame FIFA. This is fucking <laughs> Seth Blatter's problem here. The one thing I did not like about this opening uh, paragraph in particular, Clint Dempsey's ongoing quest to assemble vowels and consonants in an order that resembles words. I think he's just having trouble with his accent, yes? Yeah, he's just from Texas. He's from Nagadocious, Texas. Right. Also, keep Clint Dempsey's name out your mouth. Right. Clint's, Clint's fine. Clint, like, I at no point do I ever, like, watch Clint on soccer coverage and think, oh, God, shut this guy up. Clint's fine. Get this guy out of here. Okay. Uh, At a time when things are clicking on the pitch for the U.S. men's national team and America finally has a generation of footballers with technical quality to challenge the world's best. There's been something faintly uh, reassuring about Fox Sports' approach to this tournament. Whereas the U.S. men's national team is now a cosmopolitan uh, ensemble of feather-fine talent, the Fox team is the equivalent of a Farmers League 11 that hoofs it long and hopes for the best. (laughs) Jesus. That's that's brutal right there. I mean, 
I don't necessarily disagree. I thought there was some. I thought there was some rough moments. All right, I'm gonna keep going. But I mean, like, okay, on, so there's oh. so there's some rough moments. But the yeah. other thing too is it's like okay, he introduces this paragraph by saying this is the first generation of American footballers that can compete with the world's best. Which false? I mean, we're getting there, but we still are woefully outmatched with the world's best. Oh, I'd go the other way around. I think the 2002 team matched with the world's best just fine with a quarterfinal appearance. I mean, the, the, the bigger point, could though, could have been easily beaten Germany. Right. Yeah. The, the bigger point, though, is that, like, if you believe this is the best of American soccer, then you are saying that the pool of people we have to choose as commentators on American soccer suck. Like, we don't have a lot of great players in our history as a country, and there's not a lot of household names and people that are familiar that you would select as a commentator. Like, if you wanted to select a player from American soccer past that is identifiable to more than 50% of soccer fans, you're really limited to, like, 15 guys, maybe? 10 guys? Yeah. It's like mainly the 2014 World Cup roster and right. a smattering of MLS originals. Eric Wanalda, John Harks. Like we just don't, I don't have know the, how much those guys even break through these days. Right. We just don't have like the player pool of people to recruit as pundits. Like for an NFL ga- uh, talk show, there's any number of players that are household names that were superstars or even were average stars. Most soccer fans in this country probably couldn't name more than 30 people that have played in MLS total. Right, right. Um, I appreciate you stopping there to talk because I'm not prepared to pronounce this word that he made up that, that looks fun. Four years on from the dumb umbrid debacle of its coverage in Russia, Fox is back and worse than ever in a world of so much flux in which so many human connection seems so uh, ephemeral fox's commitment to a losing team squeaky stew holden on the match call lawless spouting nonsense on set and rob stone holding the whole thing together with the desperate energy of a dad using his daughter's 18th birthday celebration as a showcase for his own comedic talent is something we can all get behind that that hits squarely i think that's <laughs> that what is did the rob, vibe what on did, set what did rob stone do to this guy I don't know. Rob Stone comes out okay, I think. And Stu Holden, I I think is fine. Maybe that's maybe that's me. I, I don't know. I think he's better than Landon personally. <laughs> well, I mean, they're all better than Tim Howard. Tim Howard has the personality yeah. of the desk this computer is sitting on. Yeah, uh, him and, and Donovan are rough. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think I know where you're going, and I'm glad you stopped. Right, I'm like Tim <laughs> Howard. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna uh, let's skip down a little bit here. Um, oh, yeah, this is this is classic. Okay, off-field controversy has clouded this tournament from the day Sepp Blatter pulled Qatar's name out of the envelope in 2010. But you wouldn't know anything about that from watching Fox. The BBC relegated the opening ceremony to an online-only stream, preferring instead to air a long report on Qatari human rights abuses. Fox went in completely the opposite direction, airing the whole ceremony and following up with... uh, 
quote, a look at exploring Qatar sponsored by the Qatar Foundation. Many have taken Vox to task for its glossing over the rottenness at the heart of this tournament, its legacy of crass commercialization and death. But to be fair, this is not the first time that a group of Americans has blundered into a country in the Middle East without bothering to fully educate itself about the facts on the ground. First, the correspondences between American military adventurism and international sports broadcasting may be faint, but the Fox crew has done its best to bring them to the forefront, applying the can-do spirit of Iraq 2003 to its coverage of Qatar 2022. And just like with that parallel, uh, the British tagged along <laughs> every step of the way, just ring, just wringed their hands or wrung their hands a little bit more, hemmed and hawed a little bit more. Like, you know, you're going to go with Avatar, pretending you're, pretending you're not part of, yeah. you're part of what's going on every step of the way. It just, this, it's yeah. just, boy, is that straining for a connection right there. And boy, is it's that a terrible metaphor. It's just, it's just, it's Except that, how I used it. No, you know, obviously. No, it's, it's, this is, this is, the, I hate this about journalism where it's, I am going to shoehorn in a reference to American military activity in the Middle East. And God damn it, if this peg is square, this, yeah. this hole is going to be square at the time I'm fucking through pounding. Um, and, and just this, look, I, Everyone agrees that the Qatar situation was a horrendous, horrific human rights abuse. But right. the idea that the Fox Sports side of sports commentators, match commentators, that they should be the ones holding right. Qatar to task for this is absurd. Now, your mileage may vary as to whether or not you think Fox News is capable of doing this fact. But the fact of the matter is, is that this would be like chastising the MLS broadcast crew for the first FC Cincinnati home match by not covering deeply the Mary Page situation where a 99 year old woman was hauled out of her house and the uh, the, the bo apartment building she lived in was bulldozed to make way for this stadium or yeah. the commentators at a Bengals game, not talking about the civic programs that went unfunded because Paul Brown stadium was built at taxpayer expense back in the 1990s. It's just, they they don't do that. That's not the role of sports journalists in this country specifically, but more broadly, they're not equipped or qualified to tell that story. And it's absurd to expect them to tell that story. Yeah, it's it's a little strained, let's say. Well, I'll say unfair yeah. to compare the to compare the quality of you know coverage and journalism coming out of like Fox Sports, which is, you know, private privately owned sports broadcasting network. It's like the fucking BBC, right. which is publicly funded news media, first and foremost, in the UK. I mean, do you think if they aired this, maybe they would, but if they, if they aired this on like, you know, Eurosport or Sky or, or BT or whatever it you, is, or, or right. whatever other, whatever other channels they have over there that are, that are not, isn't, yeah, that are not, you know, the publicly funded, uh, news media, do you think that they would have been more like the Fox Sports coverage or more like, you know, BBC coverage? I mean, I also, if I also, we, I'm sure the World Cup would be very different if it was aired on PBS and covered primarily by NPR. I, I also right. think, too, that there's nothing that Fox could have done that would have satisfied this level of criticism. 
that if you don't cover the opening ceremonies, the criticism will be, well, you didn't cover the migrant deaths mostly enough. And if you cover that, it's, well, you didn't have a running ticker at the bottom, you know, expressing that although this game is being played on this stadium, this stadium was built by slate. Like there will always be something you didn't do well enough when the moral outrage is at the level that it is with Qatar. And frankly, the moral outrage is justified. There were a lot of people that lost their lives as a result of Qatar bribing their way to winning the World Cup here. And it's justified. But there's nothing that Fox Sports can do that is enough to counterbalance the human suffering, short of just not covering the situation at all and not even broadcasting the games out of protest. And that's just, it's a for-profit corporation. That's not going to fucking happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think like, yes, there's a lot wrong with the Qatar World Cup in in a number of things, but like, if you're mad that they bribed to get the World Cup, you should know that every single World Cup going back to at least the 1970s has had bribery associated with it. Germany and German officials have been convicted of bribery in getting the 2006 World Cup, for example, same in South Africa. So if that's your problem, you have everybody else to get upset with as well. Um, if you're mad that it was moved to the winter, I think that's weird. And I think it's weirdly Eurocentric that Europe is the only continent that shouldn't have its leagues interrupted. Meanwhile, uh, South America and uh, large parts of North America continue to have their leagues interrupted by the World Cup. And if it is truly the World's Cup, then everybody should bear the, the burden of having their leagues interrupted for this equally and i think we should honestly explore more winter time world cups and maybe they should even alter every other world cup being hosted in the summer and winter so that everybody is inconvenienced at the same rate and i get to this point where it's like yes the the migrant worker situation is horrific and people dying to build those stadiums is an insane injustice to humanity everywhere but I get the sense that like the vitriol towards Qatar at this point isn't tinged in some way in, I don't know, racism or Orientalism that like their brutality is worse than our brutality. Like how many undocumented workers help work on the NFL stadiums that'll host 2026 World Cup? We don't know. And we can say like these numbers go unreported and we know that there are thousands of people that don't have medical health care, but they help build these stadiums. Like you can spin a very similar picture about the United States. And that is not to say, oh, well, what about the U.S.? Therefore, Qatar gets off scot-free. I'm not saying that. I think all abuses should be, should, you know, be punished and investigated fully. But there is a degree of vitriol that Qatar gets that I do think starts to come from somewhere that isn't just the hope and dreams of, I don't know, the migrant workers from Nepal. Like, would you really want the BBC to not broadcast the opening ceremony of the 2026 World Cup in solely focus on abortions in the United States? Because like abortions are easier to get in Qatar than they are in like Texas right now. Do we really want that? Is that what people are dying for, for the sports coverage or 
at some point should they should they exist in their silos i don't know maybe everything should be politics and everything should be miserable until everything's better just wear your prison around with you wherever you <laughs> exactly. go just right. that i I am, a, I am incapable of escaping my politics for more than five minutes <laughs> the battlefield is everywhere uh, <laughs> uh okay uh, the acute ambivalence that many throughout the footballing world, including America, feel about this tournament has been nowhere on display. Nuance, political context, a sense of proportion about a sporting project built on exploitation and influence peddling all have been lost amid Fox's nonstop air uh, bonfire of jingoism and untroubled uplift. Even by their elevated standards, Rob Stone and co. have outdone themselves this World Cup, chauntering and blundering around their Doha base with all all the charm and worldliness of a set of Bush administration foreign policy uh, officials. Um, I tied that uh, back in in the last sentence there. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that Bush reference in right there. I was, like that. I was worried we yeah, might have gotten out of this without a Bush reference. Um, all right. I'm going to skip down uh, just to, oh, they, they complain about ads the presented by Coca-Cola, your first time moment presented by uh, Verizon. To be clear, for most of Europe, there is a like legal mandate that national team games and even the World Cup have to be broadcast for free on public airways. Like if the U.S. were to pass a law that PBS had to host all U.S. men's and women's national team games, a lot of these criticisms would disappear. Sure. But uh, sure as hell not how the United States is going to handle anything like this. So you're getting Volkswagen ads um, and everything else. Um, so insults to our collective intelligence have come from all angles. The constant tedious analogies to American sports, stepovers and feints described as deeks and heis, hiss. I don't know what that word is, and I don't know any American who uses that word unless I am grossly mispronouncing H-E-S-I-S. -S. Corners constantly compared to pick and rolls, the never-ending quest to contextualize the world's game by comparing whole countries to American states. Qatar is the size of Connecticut, we were told repeatedly on the opening day. The network's embrace and promotion of the indeterminable, it's called soccer cause, quotes or brackets who cares the strange extended segment on the run-up to usa versus england about how much harry kane likes american football the employment of pierce morgan as a special guest pundit I mean, that's the, all the stuff that you're talking about right here is just a reality of the fact that soccer is the fifth most popular sport in america it's yes. just not as it's not we don't consume the game the same way other cultures do because it's not our most popular sport. And if they want to make money broadcasting this, they got to have a hook for the casuals. And you know what? Based on how my phone was blown up in the final, it fucking worked. It worked. Like, what are you supposed to do when you know that you have like multiples more people watching than a typical American soccer broadcast, which means that the majority of them do not ordinarily watch soccer. Are you supposed to like make them feel bad for not usually watching soccer? Are you supposed to like alienate them? <laughs> right. You're supposed to make them feel lost. Yeah, I'd love, right. I'd love to know. Are you trying to gear a broadcast that actually like they feel like they can follow along, right? Yeah. Like you explain the rules at a more basic level. You say right. like, oh, this is similar to use terminology they're familiar with. Right. 
I, yeah, I think it's like too, I'd love to know what the coverage yeah. is when the NFL comes to the UK. Like, what kind of coverage right. do they get right. for for American football? I bet it's right. a lot of fucking bullshit too. I'll bet it's the exact same shit. I'll right. bet that when when fucking Brady and the Buccaneers went over to Germany, they asked him in the media like, "Who your favorite soccer player is?" I bet there was a lot of stupid shit like that. Right? Who's your favorite team? Oh wow, this wide receiver grew up playing soccer and played it into high school or whatever. Sure. Um, and it's silly for them to complain about. Like, ads because yeah. like our soccer jerseys say mercy health <laughs> on the front not because that's a common thing for right. american sports jerseys to have a big old sponsor on the front and on the sleeve but because yep. that's what they do in europe so they can go ahead and do it here mls uh at least the first year maybe the first two years couple years did not have ads on the front they put the number where you would normally find the crest and then where you would find the ad they put the logo of the team that is what the first couple of mls jerseys look like i despise the contextualize the world game by comparing countries to american states i'm sorry like how else do you want me to explain to somebody how big qatar is like i listen to the guardian soccer podcast the irish uh guy on there explained that qatar was the size of whatever county in ireland like it's useful to have that context in your head and guess what england roughly the size of alabama so i'm gonna do it again on this podcast how annoying is it to know things roll tide (laughs) this this, reminds me of like one of the great moments in euro snobbery when the u.s basketball was playing in the olympics and some European, they're about to play like Slovenia. Yeah. And a journalist asked Marcus Cousins, Do you know where Slovenia is? And he said, Do you know where Alabama is? <laughs> it's great. Like, great. Such a great response. Yeah. Point to boogie there. I like that. <laughs> the United States is, yeah, about the size of Europe. And I wouldn't expect every American to be able to pinpoint exactly, you know, which one was Slovakia versus the Czech Republic. And I sure wouldn't expect a a European to be able to identify Wyoming versus Kansas. Like sometimes the not so popular things are hard to find. Um, (laughs) uh, All right. We're going to skip down uh, just a little bit here. This is funny. In a big tournament, you always want your biggest players to show up, and Lawless, who often gives the impression that he's being paid by the decibel, has not let the Fox team down with this Mundial. Uh, From his post at the end of the panel, the big man in the MAGA light suit has delivered his signature rants with all the enthusiasm of someone who's blown past the discomfort of knowing that no one else on the set finds him interesting or funny. Player (laughs) rating, 10 out of 10. In support, Dempsey has has been dim but fundamentally lovable. Dr. Joe Manchik has brought all the authority of his credential as a non-medical doctor. That's he objectively has a PhD funny. And member funny. of the Connecticut Soccer Association Hall of Fame to bear on the important task of quoting verbatim from the laws of the game. And Stu Holden still hasn't stopped talking from America's opening match. Now, see that like that right there. <laughs> this is just a criticism of American broadcasters, and just yeah. that like we expect our broadcasters to be talking the entire time yeah. you go overseas they lay out for the game a lot more and when you watch it it's kind of like is somebody still there like there'll be right. long stretches of games where it's like listening to joe nuxall call a reds game where <laughs> there's just ambient noise happening and you wonder if the guy had a heart attack live on set 
Yeah, we've we've certainly poked fun at Tommy G, you know, going on his, uh, you know, story uh, in the middle of the game. But like, yeah, that's that's American baseball for sure. It's just like somewhere around the eighth inning. If it's not a particularly close game, you're getting like what happened at the grocery store last night stories from your from your commentators. Um Donovan, meanwhile, has pulled off the impressive trick of being both exceptionally boring and weirdly aggressive, which I completely agree with. In a sport that thrives on innovation, Donovan has developed a kind of anti-chemistry in his rapport with English co-commentator Ian Dark. Built on dead air, the flat effect of a benzoid accountant and negging sample from the Spain versus Costa Rica match. 7-0 looks like an NFL score. You wouldn't know anything about that, Ian. That feels genuinely fresh <laughs> it's the, this is like the point i made earlier like there's only so many famous guys you can pick from american soccer history you're kind of stuck with right. landon donovan until we get a couple more generations of people that are household names and landon donovan sucks tim howard sucks no one's disagreeing with that you've just got to give us time to make our heroes here a little bit yeah i i I think there maybe is a fair criticism to say like the entire broadcast crew didn't need to be American. And I remember that about the 2014 World Cup where they had like Roberto Martinez and I, he's like the one I remember, but a few other guys. Uh, Michael Bollock was another one where it was just like interesting to bring in these other names, these other experts that could provide different context that maybe Fox was missing. And Maybe it's stereotypical of Fox and maybe I'm conflating the news division with the sports division, but it did feel like they were never going to go that route other than the <laughs> token English person to be the commentator. Um, bu- 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 oh, well, here you go. We'll, we'll turn a compliment here and then we'll wrap this up. Meanwhile, all of Fox's decent commentators have been tucked away on relative World Cup obscurities like Netherlands versus Ecuador or Australia versus Tunisia. Bright spots have been sparse. John Strong uh, enjoyably uh, described Cristiano Ronaldo's attempt to claim Bruno Fernandes's goal as his own in Portugal versus Uruguay as his hairspray goal, a hairspray goal, if anything. Marisa Du has been quietly impressive, offering astute mid-match analysis while eschewing the kind of reductive characters that often mar Fox coverage of encounters involving the less fancied football nations. So there you go. A couple there of compliments go. for um, us. <laughs> you got to mix one in every so often so that you... you- you feel like, hey, I it wasn't all bad. <laughs> I forgot about this. Is this the end of it? Okay, this is the very end. Um, but we'll we'll wrap this up with this. Uh, finish this paragraph here. A special word also must go to Kate Abdo. Abdo is a great enabler of the hijinks and self-deprecating silliness that makes CBS's coverage of the Champions League so enjoyable. Here, however, as a host of Fox World Cup Tonight Show, she has to contend with the sentient televisual own goal that is American soccer fan Chad Ochocinco. Ocho Cinco, a former hey, wide receiver for the Cincinnati hey, Bengals. Hey, you fucking hey, watch man. it. You watch it here. Uh, former wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals has for some reason been asked to document his fan experience for Fox at this World Cup a brief that has yielded such insights as I liked the game today Ronaldo is my man and the 30 seconds of confused silence that consumed Ocho Cinco after Abdo made a gentle joke about Carlo Ancelotti's eyebrows I haven't tested the thesis exhaustively (laughs) but get all of Chad Ocho Cinco's fan experience by 
by downloading the Fox Sports app. Rep, uh, repeated ad nauseum throughout Fox's telecast seems a good a candidate for the collection of words in the English language least likely to induce the average American TV viewer <laughs> to download the Fox Sports app. <laughs> just, that's you know, solid writing right there. <laughs> also, like, we're going to get righteous about uh fox's non-coverage of the horrid situation in qatar we're not going to get a mention of the fact that shadow chosenko has been credibly accused of domestic violence like multiple times yeah i mean no but also yeah his uh girlfriend or wife at the time was a uh, reality tv star it was it was a whole thing got kicked off the dolphins at the end of his career yeah yeah i watched that episode i watched that season of hard knocks too (laughs) that's right it was a hard knocks season when he um when he complains that like you know shadow Chisinko goes on broadcasts and like adds nothing yeah it, what it does is it brings it it brings it around to like essentially the complaint is uh all oh, the food is terrible and such small portions right. because he's like <laughs> he's he's been spent the whole article talking about how terrible the broadcast team is and then he's like and then they askew good insights for this idiot right like <laughs> the, the other thing too is it's like he's so mad about the coverage he's watching the chad ochocinco segments at midnight when he came right. on like they didn't like everyone was in bed by the time chad ochocinco started doing his shtick and it was clearly there just to be a little while a little fucking offbeat a little different it wasn't supposed to be serious and it's like right if it's not for you it's not for you man like that's a lot of this stuff falls into that category, but like it, once you start to criticize this, you are just looking to skewer every aspect of this, and there's no intellectual honesty with what you're doing right now. Yeah. I, I mean, if it wasn't Chad Johnson, and, and maybe it should have been this, it should have been like, you know, popular FIFA streamers, like just talking about their takes and like just trying to get their millions of subscribers. No, if, 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 it, if it wasn't Chad Ochocinco, it would have been a it would have been Peter Griffin from Family Guy, voiced by Seth MacFarlane, <laughs> interacting with a live co-host, talking about how he doesn't understand any of the soccer nonsense. And it would have been like the weird who framed Roger Rabbit of post game shows. It's just oh my like. God. His name is escaping me. Who did the uh, the impressions forever on Fox Sports Sunday? Oh, uh, Frank um, Caliendo is who it would have been if it Caliendo. wasn't. Can you Sosenko. imagine Frank Caliendo doing World Cup coverage? Yeah, Frank Caliendo. His head would have exploded. Yeah, doing John Madden talking about soccer or Frank Caliendo trying a new impersonation of Andres Cantor talking right. about all the goals that got scored and just screaming every word loudly. That that was the alternative to Chad Ochocinco <laughs> right here. So be thankful you got the better of the alternative here. Oh, my gosh. I mean, yeah, I that, that's pretty much the end of it. There's a little rant about uh, Murdoch at the end, which leads me to go ahead and confirm this person is uh, Australian. So um, that's, that's where uh, that's where that one runs up. But man, just brutal on Fox, who, yeah, I think they probably could have picked a slightly better crew. And in some cases, I would have swapped the studio guys with their their broadcast team. Like Marisa do on a broadcast over Landon Donovan probably would have been better overall. But um, yeah, it was just a, it was a harsh takedown of uh, it's a, it's American a- sports culture culture from the guardian it's it's a long way of saying the coverage was fine yeah it was fine it was okay i i wouldn't mind like in the 2026 world cup like big fox hosting 
like games and it's catered to a casual audience it may be fox sports one catering to a soccer audience so there's not as much talking down you can have more obscure personalities on the broadcast and they can make references to things that like a knowledgeable viewer should get like what i'm imagining is like the nickelodeon feed of nfl playoff games versus the cbs feed of an nfl playoff game like same game different audiences trying to achieve two different objectives i think maybe that's that's the play but not in the middle of a winter world cup maybe you pull that off in a, in a summer world cup not when you've got college football in the nfl going as long as somebody gets slimed that's all i'm looking for <laughs> Maybe we can slime the winner of the World Cup like uh, Messi had to put on that uh, ceremonial robe before lifting the uh, <laughs> the trophy. Maybe we can slime the winner. <laughs> God bless America. Oh, amazingly, that's going to do it for the postcast. Two Grace and a half is re- hours. Grace is ready to die. It was a marathon session and he already wasn't feeling well. He's he's postcasting hurt and we, appra- we applaud him for this. <laughs> I've, I like like we talked about before. I may chop this up a little bit. We'll see. We'll see how the edit goes. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, gentlemen, I want to say thank you for joining me, listener. If you made it this far, God bless you. And um, I think there's only one le- one thing left to say here. Merry Christmas and fuck Columbus. Mm-hmm.